the Duke will die before these eyes and he'll know, he'll know that it is I, then Vladimir Harkonnen, who encompasses his Welcome to episode 8 of the Mondo Cool Movie Dudes. My name is Mac. My name is Keith. And my name is Sean. This week's movie is 1984's Dune, directed by David Lynch, starring Kyle MacLachlan, Jose Ferrer, Jurgen Prochnap, Francesca Annis, Dean Stockwell, Freddie Jones, Patrick Stewart, Sheehan Phillips, Kenneth McMillan, Brad Dorif, Sting, Everett McGill, and Sean Young. Dune is a 1984 American epic science fiction film based on the 1965 Frank Herbert novel of the same name. Dune gets a 50 56% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 3.3 out of 5. It gets a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb and a 2.67 out of 5. Unrate your music. How about a plot synopsis? In the far future, a duke and his family are sent by the Emperor to a sand world from which comes a spice that is essential for interstellar travel. The move is designed to destroy the duke and his family, but his son escapes and seeks revenge as he uses the world's ecology as one of his weapons. That's a pretty good one. It's a little better than, can you make a movie out of a video game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is you guys' history with this movie, if you have one? I've seen it Well, we twice. watched it together. Oh, yeah, we all watched it together. That was a lot of fun. I have heard of it before. I like David Lynch quite a bit, and I own, like, 50 of those novels that I'm oh, never yeah, going to yeah. read. <laughs> one of my old roommates got me a bunch from the library that they were just getting rid of, I guess. Yeah, I ended up with a bunch of these books, and they're really dry. Yeah, that's Will what I, I go back to them? Really Will I try after watching this? And... Yeah, very heavy. My history was non-existent. I didn't even know this movie existed until he told really? me this is the movie that we were doing next episode. Wow. I went into this completely blind. I had no idea that there was this whole mythology surrounding this movie. Its own universe, its own series, I should yeah, say. Yeah, there were six books in total that came out. Didn't know that any years. of them were even a thing. That's about as far as my history goes, and then I watched it with you guys mm. twice. What did I think of it? We'll find out. Yeah, I had seen this movie a couple times before we decided to do it for the show. I was getting really interested in David Lynch back in like 2012, I think before that point I'd seen like Elephant Man and Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet and this came in from Netflix and I watched it by myself and it was the weirdest goddamn thing and there's some something weird that I liked about it even though I knew it was kind of maligned by a lot of people a lot of critics didn't like it a lot of David Lynch fans didn't like it but I kind of did and then I think I watched it with you around that time too, yeah well I remember you bringing over the Netflix envelope yeah so yeah let's discuss those actors first up Kyle MacLachlan as Paul Atreides himself triumphant debut I am a life lifelong Kyle MacLachlan supporter. <laughs> I love this dude. I'm always happy to see him. I don't care what he's doing. In this movie, he kind of like evolves into his role. He starts out kind of like wimpy and then he ends up like his hair's different. He ends up really, um, it's all in the hair. Just pay attention to the perfect hair forever. He starts out as like kind of a wimp, sheepish character and then he moves on to like something much larger than uh, anybody could have ever imagined like Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> HP levels. Yeah, man. You've got the spice, Harry. 
<laughs> no, I agree. Um, when he started out, the, the way his character was portrayed, he was like a trained prince. Like, he knew how to fight. He knew, like, all the basic princely duties. But he was in no way, shape, or form prepared for the trials that would befall Indeed. him throughout the course of the movie. Yeah. As far as his acting goes, I thought he did a pretty good job. His progression was really nice. I thought his delivery was a little weird in some places. Oh, his delivery is weird and stilted at the beginning of the movie when he sucks. Yeah. Later on, when he becomes much better, he kind of falls into the role and the acting improves a lot. Yeah. It's cool. I think that was intentional, maybe. Like they told him to hold back his acting ability just for the first third of the film. And then as yeah. the film goes on, you can uh, unleash more and more of it. Yeah, I like Kyle McLaughlin and everything he's in, whether he's Agent Dale Cooper or the mayor of Portlandia or Paul Atreides. <laughs> I thought he was pretty good. A lot of the acting in this, there's this kind of awkward quality or stiff or wooden, I guess. This whole movie has this quality of being just slightly off, which adds to it. That's kind of what I like about it. I think a lot of people maybe took this movie too literally, people who thought it was a piece of shit. What do you mean, take it too literally? You could say the acting is objectively not great a lot of the time, but it's like what the movie calls for and the dialogue is weird because basically a lot of it is taken straight from the book. That's actually one of the things Frank Herbert, the author, liked about it was mm. that a lot of it is verbatim what they say in the book. And like very yeah. true to the source material. But all the acting isn't bad. Like the, all of the good characters are kind of stiff and awkward, but all the bad characters are living it up. Yeah, dude. they're like off the they're wall crazy a lot this of the time, shit. They're yeah, having a lot of fun. I, I did like that about McLaughlin's performance is how much he is able to change throughout the course of the film. Yeah. He mm. seems at the beginning kind of like green behind the ears kind of kid. Turns into kind of a badass dude. Leader of men. Leader of Fremen. Next up is Jose Ferrer who played the emperor of the known universe. He was an emperor. He's very diplomatic but he's out for his own ends. It makes sense for him to be acting the way he's acting. Like I thought his physical acting was good. He was very subtle. He, he looked good sitting in the throne. He did. He, he did. looked really good That's when he was like I'll leaning say. back. Yeah. yeah, I thought he was cool. I think he played the part well. He seemed pretty fucking kingly. Yeah, he was good. He was like the Lord Farquaad of this movie. He's cooler than Farquaad. Oh, yeah, oh, he obviously, he was cooler than Farquaad, but I mean like... Uh, Farquaad's a fucking... He's puss. a fuckwad, dude. That's yeah, funny. he's an asshole. <laughs> Fuck Farquaad, How man. do you think John Lithgow would have done if he'd been playing this role? Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that would have been pretty cool. Jurgen Prochnow, who played Paul Trey's dad, Duke Leto II. He was a stoic, well-read, aging with grace stallion. He was a silver fox. He like, was great. He had man. it all. He was the fucking dude. Yeah, Caves, Bucks. He, he had, had it all. all. I like the subtle nuances behind his acting. Like, you can see it pretty clearly as you watch the film. He knows that his end is imminent. He's like mm -hmm. subtly passing the reins to his son because he knows mm -hmm. that he probably doesn't have a whole lot of time left. That makes sense. Yeah, I like this guy. He was the captain of the boot in Das Boot. <laughs> uh, which is a great movie. German movie from a few years earlier. Cool. And yeah, he was good in this. I think he displayed some genuine emotion. Francesca Annis was Paul's mama, Jessica. Is this the... She's the one you're saying was hot yeah. the whole movie. Oh, man. Shut up about it. <laughs> I agree. She's middle status. She's pretty she's hot and very, She's very, very attractive. I'm moving I on mean, the I have territory. to say that. <laughs> How is she as an actress? I thought she was good. I thought she did what she had to do. She delivered the lines well. She had a lot to do physically, I guess, and yeah. I don't mean 
physically. She had like shit to do, like actual shit to do at a certain point in the movie, right? She did things. Yeah, she did some various stuff. things, some important things, really. Some very important business like things. Didn't shit done. She didn't feel like a damsel in distress or anything like that. She had an actively working role throughout yeah. this entire movie. Like she wasn't just kidnapped or whatever or anything like that. She was a leading lady. She wasn't business. like a daisy. Yeah. Put into a tower with a weird dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, I liked her. I thought she did a pretty good job at being weird ass Kyle McLaughlin's mom and seeing me gently concerned about his well being. Next up, <laughs> Dean Stockwell played Dr. Yui. He was the doctor guy who had like a weird diamond birthmark looking thing on his forehead. I believe they called it the Imperial Conditioning. He is the perfect doctor. <laughs> you should put some of that in your game, dude. <laughs> it's like uh, the Hippocratic Oath Earth doctors even do. Like, do no mm -hmm. harm, blah, blah, blah. The Imperial Conditioning can make it so doctors, literally, it's like physically impossible. They're mentally programmed so they can't hurt people. Okay. But yeah, I liked him. I like Dean Stockwell in everything I've seen him in. He was in Blue Velvet in a small but crucial part. Really? <laughs> Not good, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also, Matt gave me a what the fuck, man. This kind of look. Stink eye. Yeah. <laughs> stink eyes upon you. Just try to get out from under. Yeah, and he was in Paris, Texas, which just came out the same year. Another movie I really like. Yeah, I really like him. He has a quiet dignity. He does. That's the best way to put it. And it helps yeah. aid in the contrast of how his role kind of plays out as the film progresses. Makes some uh, moral compromises, shall we say. Yes. Mm -hmm. And not necessarily for the Feels best of bad intentions. Man. Yeah. Sad frog, not JPEG. <laughs> <laughs> Freddie Jones, who played Thufa. Thufa was the guy that was the Atreides crew who had big eyebrows. This is the big eyebrow guy. Okay. The good guy. With the the guy that looks like he ate a bunch of donuts, feels like shit, but he's daydreaming about a bunch more donuts. Yeah, he always yeah, had he food. He had food stains all over his yeah, mouth he the was, whole time. Uh, yeah, he, he was a fucking mess. Yeah, the lips become a warning. What's his name again? Thufer. Thufer's a mess. Thufer's a waste. Thufer's a big fat mess. Boycott Apple. Boycott Thufer. What do you think about that? I just came up with that. Boycott Thufer. Thufer. What a fucking awesome name. I liked him. This guy was also in the, another David Lynch movie. He was in The Elephant Man. But yeah, he was good. This guy was classically trained to rock your fucking socks oh, off. shoot. He I looks, can see this guy being in like Shakespearean plays and stuff. He looks like he wouldn't yep. be out of place in a Harry Potter movie either. He reminded me the whole yeah. time of Professor Slughorn. So next up we got Patrick Stewart, Picard himself. I couldn't believe it. Like I was very surprised to see him in this movie, but that's just my uh, greenness showing when it comes to masterpieces of the year of 1983. 84. <laughs> 84? Oh, God. Damn, see? <laughs> see how uneducated I am? There you go again, Keith. Just, it's come, it'll Christ. come around. I'm just uncultured swine. I can't help it. Yeah, he was good. He was doing his Patrick Stewart thing. He was a bad-ass <laughs> motherfucker. He had a wallet that said bad-ass motherfucker on it, I think. Yeah, I think he did. <laughs> he so he can keep all the money inside. I just need my wallet. This briefcase doesn't belong to Patrick Stewart. He was basically like the um, muscle for the Atreides people. He was like the guy, the train Paul in combat. Captain you know? of the Royal Guard. I don't know if he actually was, but that's what, the, gonna that's say what that he, he gave was, off then. as a presence. Kind of seemed like chief bodyguard for the Duke. Yeah, it was cool. He was he's, his butler. Yeah. Butler Picard. Badass <laughs> butler. Badass <laughs> butler. No, he's awesome. Patrick Stewart's always great whenever he shows up. He's always good. It's crazy how good this guy yeah, is. Yeah, he is all a joy to watch. His line readings are incredible. He looked really good in this movie, too. I think he, like, fit really well into the world. Yes, he does. It cool. was cool, like, seeing a guy from, like, the Star Trek universe and this other big sci fi movie. What came out before? Did Star Trek come out before? Dude, I think TNG didn't come 
come out until at least 1987, more like 89. Oh, okay. So this was before that series of Star Trek. They were still making the original series into movies. Like yep. This is a couple years after Wrath of Khan. So next up we got, I don't know how to say her name, so I'll spell it. S-I-A-N <laughs> Phillips. I forget what her actual name was. I remember her title, though, was like the Reverend Mother. She was like the head psychic for both, I think, the Emperor and for the... Was she the bald she, one yeah, she was looked bald. like she walked out of KOTOR? She was yes. bald. Knights of the Old Republic. She had like this weird black cloak. Okay. She's the head of the Ben Garasset or Gasserit or whatever, which is that weird world organization of psychic women that are all bald. Figure that shit out, internet. So hair yeah, gets in the way of psychic crazy. abilities? Like it maybe, maybe like the, yeah, the psychic waves can't get to your brain as easily if you have hair. <laughs> she was cool. She um, was very creepy, which I appreciated in this yeah. movie. Yeah, intimidating too. Menacing. Like, would not want to put my hand in a box that she offers me. <laughs> no, I'll I say that keep, right I now. keep it right up. <laughs> I'm not doing that, lady. I'm sorry. You can just kill me. Yeah, she was good. She was um, she was interesting, and she was sort of scary. Seems like she had like sort of sharpened down teeth. A little bit. Like, Did she? Like she had like very prominent canine teeth, and I think Yikes. her teeth might have been sharpened down to points. Oh, jeez. Jaw style. I didn't notice that. Yeah. Woof. But I don't know what you mean. It was most prominent like during a lot of the uh, inner monologue portions, I guess I would say, where characters would look and you would hear their thoughts, but you wouldn't yeah, actually see them speaking. Yeah, they did a lot of that. Mm. Kenneth McMillan, who played Baron Vladimir Harkonnen <laughs> himself. Oh, this guy. Oh, oh Just a bit of Jesus. spittle for your face. What other movies has he, has he been in? Kenneth for... McMillan? Yes. I don't mm. know. I think he's been dead since like 1989. Oh, man, that's a shame. I know, right? <laughs> he is my, probably my favorite part of this movie. He's off he the rails. He was wildly mm-hmm. entertaining, I thought. He is so crazy and out of control. I like what, uh, yeah, Mr. Mr. Plinkett said about um, <laughs> Palpy. He just has so much fun being evil. And yeah, that's exactly like this guy. He just really has so does. much fun being evil. Yeah, he like loves, he's having a great time this yeah. whole movie, dude. Would you basically equate him to a space Genghis Khan? No. No? Nah. You don't think so? <laughs> nah. I don't know much about Genghis's actual personality. Well, when I think of like a like a, over like a, a crazy shit. warlord mm-hmm. like that's what I think that's the first name that comes to my mind yeah no this guy was awesome he was yeah. so insane I feel like if he had been like a CG character Andy Serkis would have played him oh yeah he, he kind of looked, looked like, like him a little bit looked like the um, fucking king from Heavenly Sword yeah like that's what I mean king. I can't yeah. tell you how glad I am it wasn't CG though oh yeah oh this baby is great and the, the, the makeup on his like fucked up face and that's what I love so awesome. just covered listen in to him cackle flying through the air with the greatest of ease. Yeah, this guy, this he can start up like floating phase. around. I guess we can get more into that oh, later. Oh, that's but, yeah. wonderful. So next up, we got fucking Chucky himself, Brad Dorif, who played Piter DeVries. <laughs> yeah, I love this guy so much. Yeah, man, we're friends till the end. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. This guy played Wormtongue in Lord of the Rings. He was in a really amazing X-Files episode. Played the dude with the stutter in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I knew I recognized He's that. Like also, that piercing stare from yeah, somewhere. Yeah. He's also the oh. voice of uh, Chucky from Child's Play. Yeah, in the Child's Play movies. Yep. Oh, no shit. Yep. Yeah, this guy is amazing. He's great. He's I love his voice actor. work. Yeah, he was really good in this movie. He was really weird, and I like that his character is supposed to be like a human computer, although it seems like there's computers in this movie. This universe doesn't have any computers or any robots, so they give people this weird juice to drink that makes their brain work really, 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 really just fast. just like your eyebrows so that, blow out like crazy. That's why he had that. You know, the good eyebrow guy? They don't mention this in the movie at all, but he is also supposed to be a human computer. Oh. 
Okay. And that's why they look the same. It's a very interesting concept. Yeah. I thought that they were just like a race of people. That's what I assumed. Crazy white yeah. eyebrows. Like, that's the thing about this movie. If I guess it hurts this movie in a way to have to say this, but this movie makes a lot more sense if you do a little bit of homework and read up a little bit on the Dune universe and the first Dune novel. A lot of things in this movie will make more sense. Yes. Which that gets dicey. Like, do you think, like, general audiences like doing that stuff? Like, no. Find... <laughs> <laughs> no one should have to do their homework before they watch a movie. You should be Final able to. Answer. You should be able to just watch a movie and get the nuance of what the movie's trying to convey. You should, yeah. some of, like it is a gray area, but generally speaking, no, it's not a good thing. Some movies, though, even if you don't understand everything the first time around, they can still be enjoyable to watch. Like I don't get hung up as much on plot. I think as maybe the general movie audience does. Big Lebowski, you know, after watching it twelve times, <laughs> still will pick up on more and more little details and make the movie make more sense. Next up, Sting. Really wasn't in this movie oh. that much, but he was interesting to watch, I guess. He was the most perfect man yes, that was, was ever on screen. He was basically he was kind of doing like Malcolm McDowell and Clockwork Orange. Yeah, his, his he really was. Yeah. With wrinkling his forehead and bulging his eyeballs out. But it was like cool. Kinda, and putting his hands on his hips. Yeah. The way he was like kind of bouncing around and dancing around and stuff, it made me think of those characters from Final Fight with like the knives and stuff that would like do those crazy oh, yeah. backflips <laughs> and they had like the weird 80s disco hair with the headbands and shit and like the skin tight <laughs> latex. I, I like just performance he had the crazy eyed stare down he was good i don't know how good this guy was i can't tell he was i think he was pretty good and that that thing is is he was not overextended he's only in four scenes i want to say yeah he's not in much he didn't have to really create much of a range of emotion or anything else he just had to be the kind of crazy guy and he did that well i think oh yeah yeah like the rabbit like the mad dog yeah Yeah, mad dog where does he rank on the beefo meter? Milkling's in good shape. He wasn't like real big. He's more of a lean cut. Yeah. <laughs> Prime beef. Lean muscle. Dennis Reynolds' body. Probably runs off the Dennis system. The sting <laughs> system. Yeah. Sting system. <laughs> so this guy was one of my favorite parts of this whole movie. Big Ed of Twin Peaks fame himself, Everett McGill. He was the guy. The- I will take the boy man. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen Worm Sign, the likes of which even God, God has never seen. Oh, man, that's the best line in this movie. There yeah. was, a, I believe, a 51-gun salute <laughs> behind our couch in the apartment, right? Yeah, a bunch of Marines came that? up. And, fucking yeah. A, it was crazy, that line, right in the chest. Oh, yeah. That's fucking crazy. He's great. I okay. thought he was fantastic in this he movie. Was. He yep. hams it up to a level rarely seen in this or any lifetime. It's yeah, just It works right. so well in this. This movie, it's like sci-fi, but as almost like this fantasy kind of thing. These characters, you could have just changed their outfits and like put them into Lord of the Rings or something. <laughs> yeah. Wizard clothing. Yeah, it could have been Harry Potter. Yeah. Space H-Pizzle. wizards in outer space. Space wizards? Star Wars. Man, it's just like Star Wars. Wow. <laughs> it's like war. It's my future and really fast. I wonder where he is You right know now. who you are and I hope you get that if you're listening. <laughs> Making plans for Nigel. Yeah. Play the song in time, buddy. Do you remember when he would walk around the hallways with that Oracle Ray? Yeah, he would play the good, the bad, and the ugly theme. It sounded so weird in the 
Ocarina. I'm, I'm so was... sorry. I don't really remember this guy. Oh, man. I just remember the legend. Yeah, that is legend at this point. <laughs> I am legend. May that be. A... <laughs> it's an urban legend. So, yeah, last but not least, hmm. Sean Young, a Blade Runner fame, who played the love of McLaughlin's life. Uh, Forever and ever. <laughs> yeah. Paul sees this young woman in his visions and dreams, and then he finally meets her later in the movie. That's who she plays. Like a tractor beam, dude. It sucks yeah. you right in. Pulls me right in. I thought she was pretty flat. Like, I don't think she was horrible, but it's not her fault. It's like you said earlier, there's a lot of characters, and you just tend to get invested in more than the others. By the time she actually starts playing a prominent role, you're already too invested in everybody else to really care. Yeah, she doesn't come in until late in the movie. I could be (laughs) remembering this wrong, but she doesn't do much, right? Doesn't she just kind of play as McLaughlin's just love interest, and that's Uh, pretty much it? Yeah, his destiny of love. His genius of love. Yeah, now it's a power of love fun nasty fun (laughs) james brown james brown still the king of funk y'all check him out (laughs) sexual romance (laughs) yeah it was a sexual romance guys (laughs) yeah so she didn't have a whole lot to do Here we're coming through the door. Who <laughs> <laughs> pulls up the kaleidoscope? Fuck, that was good. I thought she was sort of like up and down in this movie. Like some of her lines, like she actually put something into them, and then other ones she really didn't. Maybe that's what the movie called for. She was better in Blade Runner. Her career, I don't think, really did much past the '80s, but I liked her a lot in Blade Runner. I think she's much better in Blade Runner, but she had more to do. Yeah, she was a bigger character. She's yeah. a bigger part of that movie than she was of this. By the way, she looks completely different than. She she does. Her hair color is different and makeup's really different. It's mm-hmm. almost weird that it's the same person. You can kind of hear it in her voice more than you can see it in her face. Of course, she also has the crazy blue eyes that we get like, oh, later in the right. movie, which makes everybody look different. How old was she in this movie? Do you, do you I don't think? know. I know it was two years after Blade Runner, so she's a little bit older. But she looks younger. She looks like she's way like, younger. She looks like she's like twenty five in Blade Runner. She looks like she's like seventeen in this movie. So I don't know. Maybe it was just makeup that her character was supposed to be that young. Because hmm. I know Paul in the book is like way younger. He's like stupidly young, like fourteen. And McLaughlin, I don't know. I think he was maybe like twenty in this movie. It was actually his first feature film. Oh, was it? He'd never been in a feature. I before. would have never guessed that because he does fall into the role pretty easily. He yeah, he does a damn like, good job. I think he has a lot of natural talent. He also he just works so well with David Lynch. Lynch. Those yeah. guys worked together a lot after this. So I guess we'll get into the not-so-brief history of Dune. Frank Herbert's novel Dune was published in 1965. The first attempt at a film adaptation began in 1971 when it was optioned by producer Arthur P. Jacobs. The production was delayed by a year due to Jacobs' involvement in the Planet of the Apes series. English director David Lean, best known for directing classic films like The Bridge on the River Kwai, Lawrence of Arabia, and Dr. Zhivago, was offered the job but turned it down. English director Charles Jarrett was also considered. Arthur P. Jacobs died in 1973, and in late 1974, a French consortium led by producer Jean-Paul Gibbon purchased the film rights from Jacobs' production company APJ, with Chilean director Alejandro Jodorowsky attached to direct. Jodorowsky initially imagined the film as being 10 hours long.
Dawn, with an original score by Pink Floyd. Why? And starring the likes of Salvador Dali, Orson Welles, Gloria Swanson, David Carradine, Mick Jagger, and Hodorowsky's son, Brontus, starring as Paul Atreides. Swiss artist H.R. Geiger was involved in the production design. Daniel Bannon, known for his work on films including Dark Star, Star Wars, Alien, Heavy Metal, The Return of the Living Dead, and Total Recall, was to head the special effects department as well as work on the screenplay. Salvador Dali was cast as the Emperor, despite demanding to be paid $100,000 an hour. What? Dolly, yeah. People can demand that? And can, that's are in, you fucking kidding? And that's in 1974 money, so that's like half a million dollars an hour. <laughs> what? In today's money. Wow. That is out of control, but dude. Rain it in. There's a caveat here. Hodorowsky planned to film all of Dolly's scenes in one hour while using a mechanical mannequin as a stand-in in other parts of the film. According to H.R. Geiger, Hodorowsky asked Dolly to leave the film due to statements he had made in support of Spain's right-wing dictator, Francisco Franco. Dune's author, Frank Herbert, traveled to Paris in 1976 to visit the production, finding that $2 million and $9.5 million budget had already been spent on pre-production. Herbert later said the script was the size of a phone book and would have resulted in a 14-hour movie. Hodorowsky said that he felt an enthusiastic admiration for Herbert, but made an effort to distance the author and his input from the project. Following the production's failure, screenwriter Dan O'Bannon entered a psychiatric hospital, during which he worked on 13 scripts, including one that would become Alien, 1979, where O'Bannon would again work with H.R. Geiger as well as Ridley Scott. A documentary about the failed project entitled Hodorowsky's Dune was released in 2014. Italian producer Dino De Laurentiis acquired the rights in 1976 and commissioned Frank Herbert to write a new screenplay in 1978, which ended at 175 pages. In 1979, a new version of the script was written by Rudy Wurlitzer with Ridley Scott attached to direct and H.R. Geiger returned from the Hodorowsky production team. Scott had intended split the book into two films before pulling out completely following the sudden death of his older brother. He was concerned that Dune would take at least two and a half years to complete. He wanted to work on a faster paced project to take his mind off the loss of his brother and in February 1980 he signed on to direct Blade Runner which would reach theaters in June of 1982, two and a half years before Dune. Producer Raffaella De Laurentiis decided American director David Lynch should direct after seeing his 1980 film The Elephant Man. Lynch had received several other offers around that time, even turning down George Lucas's offer to direct Return of the Jedi. Lynch agreed to write and direct Dune despite having never read any of Frank Herbert's books or having much of an interest in science fiction in general. Lynch excluded Exar Geiger from the production because he felt that Geiger had stolen ideas from Lynch's 1977 film Eraserhead while working on Alien and thought his style would be too familiar following that film's success. Val Kilmer was offered the role of Paul Atreides but turned it down. Whoa, that would have been... Yeah, Christopher Reeve also auditioned for the part. Filming finally began on March 30th, 1983 with a crew of 1,700 people and was shot entirely in Mexico. The initial rough cut of Dune ran for nearly four hours, Lynch having planned it to be nearly three hours long. Pressure from the studio, as well as the film's financial backers, compelled Lynch, as well as producers Dino and Raphael De Laurentiis, to condense the film by cutting or shortening some scenes, adding voiceover narrations, and adding an opening monologue. An extended version of Dune was aired on television in 1988 that ran for over three hours over two nights. Lynch completely disowned this version, even having his name removed from the end credits. <laughs> Lynch has refused several offers from Universal to release a director's cut of the film and prefers not to discuss 
discuss Dune in interviews. He has expressed regret about his involvement in the film, stating that, I started selling out on Dune. Looking back, it's new one's fault but my own. I probably shouldn't have done that picture, but I saw tons and tons of possibilities for things that I loved, and this was the structure to do them in. There is so much room to create a world, but I got strong indications from Raphael and Dino De Laurentiis of what kind of film they expected, and I knew I didn't have Final Cut. Lynch was signed on to direct two sequels to the film that were never made due to its poor showing at the box office. During Dune's theatrical run, cheat sheets were handed out to audience members in some theaters to explain the film's vocabulary oh, and setting. Wow. Well, that was kind of them. At least they give you like kind of a glossary to look over. In 2000, Dune was adapted into a miniseries that aired on the Sci-Fi Channel. Dune was made with a budget of $40 million and was released on December 14, 1984 and made just $30.9 million at the U.S. box office. That sucks. So yeah, it lost about $9 million for Universal. I could see that. I mean, this movie is pretty alienating. I don't think a lot of people would appreciate this. Or a mainstream audience. Yeah, it's not as viewer-friendly as like a Star Wars movie yeah, or anything like that. it's pretty hardcore science fiction we got going on here. Yes. Right? Yeah, I mean, it was really ambitious. and pretty out there. I really want to see that documentary, though. Yeah, I'd like to see that, too. I was thinking I'd like to see Lynch's sequels. I would love to see a trilogy out of it. At the same time, though, I'm glad that those weren't made because of all the stuff that he did instead. Uh, You got a point there. If he'd been tied down to making two more giant Dune movies, he might have never made Blue Velvet or Twin Peaks. He would have been too busy with So many blessings came out of this. Dune 2 and 3. Yeah. What about the remake? What about the reboot? Oh, yeah, the miniseries, you mean? Yeah. Uh, He had nothing to do with it. David Lynch. It was a made-for-TV thing. I don't know who directed it. I remember when it came out, it seemed like it was kind of a big deal. I remember William Hurt was in it, like that guy. Yeah, I remember seeing the ads for that, and it looks boring. Yeah. Wow, did it look dull. <laughs> this thing start. So we get old-timey Universal logos in the beginning. Yeah, I like Ooh, that. Cool, yeah. I forgot about that, actually. Like, I can appreciate the new high-definition logo that we are so Burn. blessed with. There's something very familiar about seeing this old logo, and it makes I it makes me happy. I, I like think it. it looks cooler than the new one that's all like weird and sparkly. I don't really care for that. <laughs> I like the old one too. Yeah. So we get this opening monologue, which was one of those things that was kind of tacked on later to help people understand what the fuck was going on. Which I there. think was a good move. Yeah, it's just yeah. exposition. Yeah. That's I, pretty much all this intro is. I think it's, and a it's needed. Really, <laughs> like, really good is. idea to tack this on at the beginning. And it's this character played by Virginia Madsen, who is barely in the rest of the movie at all. You see her for like a second in the next scene. Yeah, she is the daughter of the emperor and she's explaining kind of like what's going on in the universe it's 10,191 so it's our future and the whole known universe apparently is ruled by her dad one dude you think one dude can do that you think it's an appropriate amount of power oh uh, no guy? like that's ridiculous Seems extreme to me why would they do this in dune universe dune universe yeah. get your shit together dune universe well he's a white man he can do it yeah <laughs> is he wrong <laughs> Yeah, daddy's home. We gotta figure this shit out, man. And she talks about the spice. The spice melange. The, the spice. spice marmalade. Spice is basically the, like, would-be all resource. It can power your Starcraft. It can power your weapon modules. Like, it can give you, like, superhuman abilities. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's uh, mind-expanding. It can give you, like, psychic powers. Pretty cool stuff, man. I mean, I'd like to try some and, spice. Yeah, the, the guild navigators of the spacing guild. I'm the spicing guild master. <laughs> They talk about how they travel through space, but they travel without moving by folding space. It sounds sort of like a concept of like a wormhole. 
Event Horizon explained it in their movie. Where they took like a piece of paper. I never no. saw it either. Oh, baby. It's got Sam Neill in it, right? <laughs> Does it ever. <laughs> oh, shit. I kind of want to see it. It sounds interesting. Um, But he takes a piece of paper and puts a pen through one end, folds it in half, and then puts the pen through the other end, takes the pen out, and then unfolds it. It's kind of folding space like you're folding a piece of paper. And yeah, just... bringing two points together. Yeah, pretty realistic idea. I think we're actually in real life on planet Earth now. We're exploring this concept right yeah. now. Yeah, and it's, it's it's cool, too, that this book came out over 50 years ago now. I don't know how much people knew about the concept of wormholes back then, or if this guy just kind of came to it on his own. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. It's cool stuff. Yeah, she talked about how the spice is only on this one planet called Arrakis. Now, I thought it looked like that planet from Ratchet and Clank do, going commando. Do, 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 yeah, fucking Planets of yeah. Aura, like that desert place. So, like, yeah, it looks music, just like it. Music's the coolest music. Maybe not ever, but it's pretty damn good. Or Tatooine. Oh, yes. Yes, Tatooine as well. Speaking of which, what did you guys think? of the music like we have Cool, I dude. thought the movie music fucking rolled. Yeah, I thought it, it was, was great. awesome. It yeah. was like Castlevania. It was like in some oh, parts, shit. yeah. It was done by the band Toto. I thought they were just like a lame kind of pop rock band from the 80s. I don't really know yeah. any of their songs. I might look them up later. Was it Brian but Eno? Brian Eno did the prophecy theme. He just oh. did that one piece of music. Oh, okay. But the rest of it was all by Toto. Oh shit, we gotta check these guys out. Mondacool headquarters alert. Purple the- alert. So it shows this a secret report from within the guild. Yeah. I said it was mission briefing. It was like super. Metroid a little bit where you have like that opening oh yeah I always think of the Venture Brothers whenever you say that the guild so yeah they send a guy a third stage guild navigator to talk to the emperor and they go to this throne room everything's gold it looks like Donald Trump's house it looks like everything was dipped in gold yeah there's just a bunch of people in black all just sort of milling around and moving out of the room it's like a future space masquerade ball and people were taking their dogs home there are still dogs in the year 10,000 Gee whiz, man. There better be. There yeah, better they're be all, some dogs. Apparently, they're around. all pugs, though. They're the master what? race. That sucks. Fucking. Is there a pug in this movie? Yeah, there is a yeah, pug. Yeah, the, the royal pet. Duke's, the Duke's dog. <laughs> yeah, no royal pet. Yeah, there was one part later on where um, Picard, he's holding it under his arm <laughs> yeah. while he's in battle. <laughs> that looks so fucking that was so funny. You know that was just something <laughs> David Lynch just thought of. Oh, fuck yeah. So there's this cue ball woman hanging out with the emperor. She's the reverend mother of the Ben Gesserit or some fucking thing. Some but anyway, like she's that. a bald woman who's like a psychic. One of the guild guys is like, get that witch out of here. <laughs> so she just goes into the next room and reads everybody's mind. Yeah, because she can do that. She doesn't give a fuck. Mm. That's why she doesn't put up a fight about it. They aren't any the wiser. And this knows. huge black apparatus tank <laughs> thing just glides into the room flanked by all these guys who look like they're wearing garbage bags they were actually made out of body bags these costumes i love these costumes yeah they were cool costumes yeah. they... i thought the big black thing looked like doom train from final fantasy VI. oh shit you're right they were wheeling it in i thought this whole thing was straight out of Oddworld. the slug thing that's inside the tank really looks like something out of Oddworld. it it's does crazy. and you probably stole it from this movie they definitely <laughs> did dude no there's no doubt about it it's crazy i like that this translating device that this one guy uses to talk with it reminds me of the babble fish from hitchhiker's guide where it's this fish you put in your brain and people can talk to you in any language and you'll understand them he's like making a bunch of weird noises you can hear what he's saying and then you can hear the translation to english but he's just talking into this looks like an old timey microphone microphone.
iPhone from yeah. like the forties. It's pretty cool. And it, yeah. what's the language? Isn't it like just kind of static or something? Uh, oh, oh it's yeah, like, it's, it's like, like really low sort of like, guttural noises. Yeah, yeah. sort of like grunting is like how he sounds. It opens up like the windshield of this big black thing that comes in through the door. What's inside of it? It's like a giant slug creature with yeah. a huge head. Yeah, it's basically just like a floating head with like some legs and feet sticking out of the bottom. Like a ghost from Casper. It doesn't have any like feet well, or anything. It has a it has, long like, a tail. body, a tail, and a giant distorted head. It puts a sock on the end of its tail at night when it's cold. <laughs> if any of you listening have ever played Metroid Prime 3, it looks like the Aurora units from that game. They were like oh. these giant floating space heads that you would go to for your mission briefings, and they look pretty much like this, but way, way less disgusting. This thing looked nasty. Yeah, yeah. These are the guild navigators, so basically these giant slug guys look like Job the Hut sort of. Mm-hmm. They are the guys in charge of like folding space when ships go to somewhere far away. They were originally people. They've been at this for 4,000 years. The spice has a lot of weird effects on people, and these guys are totally submerged in a tank full of spice yeah, gas. Yeah, the tank that he rolls in on, it looks like he's floating in a liquid. It's actually just a gas. Yeah, it's, it's like spice an orange-hued gas. gas. It's They're submerged thick. in this stuff that's basically a psychoactive drug, a mind-expanding drug all the time. And over a long enough time, it starts to distort their bodies, and that's why it's a regular person that winds up looking like this. A mess. It's a loser. It's a lousy. The effect's actually really good. Like, all of the practical effects in this movie looked really good. Yeah, they were fantastic. It's pretty gross, You can tell they had right? a good budget. You can't look away. Like, it's something so intriguing about this. Yeah, so that's what I meant last time with Mario Brothers. The King Fungus? Yeah. And he was, like, the fucking prolapsed anus. I think that was way grosser than this thing. Yeah, but, like, in a more darker, provocative science fiction movie like this one, it kind of works. Like, yeah. if you were to put that into Dune, it might actually fit. Yeah, I guess it would. It's weird, right. right? It just had a weird tone, that movie. Well, you were less offended by the giant floating abomination than you were the prolapsed <laughs> mushroom fungus? Yeah. Is it because it could talk? Do you think that might have had something oh, to do with yeah, it? Yeah, the fungus just pulsed. It's not Monster from Mario was disgusting. <laughs> Let me count the ways. The way it sounded, the way it moved, and the way it looked. This was like intriguing, and there are a lot of parts in this movie that really felt like like a weird dream that I would have had. Almost like a fever dream. Yeah, mm-hmm. like a dream I would have had when I was a kid or something, is what a lot of this, the really weird stuff in this movie makes me think of. No, you're totally right about that. It's kind of weird, still, but kinetic energy to this movie. It's, it's yeah. funky, man. Yeah, there's a lot to say about it, that's for Seriously. sure. The slug man, he talks to the emperor about his evil plan. He's like, I see plans within plans. Again, from what I had to fucking read about this on the internet, the only real rival power to the emperor in the universe is the spacing guild, and they're basically equally powerful. But this guy from the space guild, he, he knows what the emperor wants to do, and what the emperor wants to do is... He wants to pit the two clans against each other, so yeah. that way he can eliminate the Harkonnens. The Harkonnens mm. are like the bad family, the Atreides, that's the good family. They're like yeah. the protagonists. Yeah. And the yeah. Harkonnens... They're pillaging all the spice. Like, they're harvesting all law of the spice. They're in control of Arrakis at the current time. Yeah. It's a good old Yojimbo situation. So they want to give that planet away to the Atreides, but then he's going to help the Harkonnens come back and then kill all the Atreides. Later on. <laughs> but we get a little exposition about um, the two clans. The Atreides have been developing a new type of weapon. Using sound. Yeah. Using sound. 
It's like studying the way of the boys. Skyrim, yeah. Exactly. And he mentions the slug man before he leaves. They want him to kill Paul. And it's like, oh, you mean Leto? He's like, no, Paul. Yeah, Mr. Paul. He's going to be one bad dude pretty soon. It's pretty funny after that whole meeting, like when they all leave. Yeah, the cleanup crew. Oh, yeah. yeah. As it wheels out, it leaves this slime with chunks. Like, imagine buying slime with chunks in a can and then just throwing it all over the floor. But yeah, there's this one guy. Just the token cleanup dude just vacuuming. Three. Maybe it's two or three. And they have these, uh, yeah, like sort of like flat mops. <laughs> yeah, it looks like uh, shop vacs with like a wide head. Yeah, those guys that when uh, you're curling, they slide that paddle across the ice really fast. They like yeah. broom across really fast. Yeah, it's, like, it's crazy. A lot of this shit. Who's going to pick that up? Who's going to pick up well, we all did, that? Ooh. Obviously. Oh, janitor. I mean, that sucks, man. He, oh, he's man. Hey, but you get, to stay, with the, you get to stay with the huge slug man super smart guy. Yeah, but he's an old-ass slug man. He's yeah, but you got lots of words of wisdom. You're not the only one there. You got, you got guys You're to hang out with. Yeah, but there's this huge slug man floating around in drugs, man. I don't want that shit around. I kind of do. <laughs> I, cool. I mean... All the guys in the guild, again, this is shit that's not in the movie. That's their goal, is to wind up like one of those guys. Like, they, like, want to become that. Why? Yeah. Because they're powerful, because I guess. Because then you yeah, are but... everything. You know everything. You see plans within plans. I guess yeah. that's the whole point. That's what it's all, the whole game's well, all guess about. Guess what's son. the end game in, uh, overall? See, it doesn't seem like a lot of fun to be a giant slug man, really old slug man for the rest I of your life. I think this universe has very different ideas of fun well, they, <laughs> than ours. They better figure this shit out, dude. <laughs> So they cut to the Atreides planet, and we see our hero, Paul. He's, like, dicking around on the internet. He's looking up Tatooine. Yeah. His Nava computer. Tatooine. I mean, Arrakis. Of anything, George Lucas got the idea from this. Probably sure he did. Arrakis. Desert planet. Not a rain. Not a drop of water. So, yeah, he's looking up Arrakis on the internet. And about sandworms and stuff. Yeah, he's Because they're going there soon. How big are these sandworms? I have a video They're on a so small huge. one, only 125 meters. So that was Dean Stockwell. He's like, I got a audio video book of uh, 125 meters, a small one. They got up to 450, you know. It's like big game hunting for these dudes. <laughs> I bet that planet Arrakis is where Tremors like 2000 takes place. I wonder, yeah, oh, so many things man. that I've thought about. Like, did they get influence from this movie, like from Tremors to Beetlejuice? All these yeah. things was basically Definitely sandworms. Beetlejuice, yeah. for sure. I think so. Maybe not necessarily the movie, but at least the book. In one Walks Patrick Stewart, Dean Stockwell, and that Slughorn guy. Worf, command the... <laughs> Thufa. Command the fucking laser cannons, Worf. I don't know shit about that Shields show. up. Warp factor 9,000. Worf. Worf, engage! Breaker, breaker, beam me up. Yeah, Worf, so are you there? These three guys walk in. Picard, Eyebrow Man, and the good Doc. Thanks, Doc. Picard starts hassling the prince, saying, Hey, you, we were training earlier, but you know what? We're going to have a spontaneous training session right now. Well, yeah, pop quiz, motherfucker. Because he's like, yes, I know, Thufa. I had my back to the door. And he's like, oh, I know who that is. And he names all three of them without even looking. One of them is like, oh, yeah, he's a good kid. And the other one's like, he could, someone could have trained themselves to sound like that, you little bitch. And yeah, he's a dirty little hooker. As far as I'm concerned, he's a dirty whore. That's harsh. Well, I mean, the movie said it. Ba, 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 ba. I mean, this is the movie's fault, dude. So Put this shit in my head. So yeah, they get into this crazy Tron fight. Generally... <laughs> 
engage the shields. Well, that's it. My, yeah. my notes say Picard gets into a knife fight with hollow armor. I'll slap you, Paul. silly. Looks dope. There are some, like, computer-generated effects in this movie that really... For 1984... <laughs> were pretty damn good. Laugh as you will. They were pretty good for the time, I think. You know Very... It reminds me of... It reminds me of GoldenEye or Perfect Dark on the 64. Like, those bam, graphics. Bam. <laughs> Yeah, it should have kept the blocky shape, but like superimposed their faces, super stretched I mean, out you across the front. Seriously, like it would be so made, funny. They should have made a Dune video uh, game on the '64, and if they haven't, I'm gonna do it. It's well, gonna happen. There were some Dune <laughs> video right. games for the PC. They weren't based off the movie, I don't think, but they really? have made some. They yeah. take back oh, to the '90s universe or something like that. Yeah. Like, so they have this thing called shield training. I don't know, they press these buttons on their fucking utility belts. This weird brownish cubic shield comes up around their body and their limbs and everything. And they go at each other. And like, if you have this shield on, people can just bash into you and they'll just bounce right off. So they're like it's doing like, that to each other. It's like and, the Power Rangers, And uh, Paul's whooping tail. He's doing really well against Picard. It like, just springs it on there's him. There's some like, really good inner monologue yeah, he's, where he's like, is he letting me win? He like something tosses like that. him a fucking shiv and is like, engage. And then fucking like shields up, bro. That's how it yeah. starts, right? He really does just throw it upon. Yeah, him. I mean that's the thing about this training. Up, this is, no, dude. this training you have to be ready at all the time, dude. This in the battlefield, like, you're right. Battlefield, you never know. Anything can happen at any time. Like I have expected to hear that bring noise when he started going after him. Like it would have been really funny. <laughs> Fan edit, I'm telling you, the Mondo edit. Mondo Dune. The fight kind of ends in like a stalemate. Yeah, uh, dude, Paul. Kyle wins. No, he has Paul. Little, Paul well, wins. Then, 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 at the end of the fight, Paul has his little knifey up against Picard's throat. So I'm just gonna call him that for the whole Dude, movie. he won, man. And, but Pindia. no. Pinned you again. It's like the Lion King, You know what? Man. Pin me, pay me. Yeah, right? That's and what Picard said. No, he has a... He's spelling that money. He has a, <laughs> yeah, the job squad shows up. That's him, <laughs> him, him Stockwell and Thurfufer, the job squad. Yeah, they fucking cracked down on corruption in the fucking... Oh. Picard has a fucking dagger right up against Paul's side. It would have been a draw. Like, they both had each other fucking pinned. Die. Right. Shit balls. Got you me again. The Fremens are basically the race indigenous to Arrakis. They live on this planet. In the deep desert. In the deep desert. Um, Some in the Sand people? They oh, live yeah. there, and because they live in such close proximity to all the spice, their eyes have a bluish tint. Yeah, blue mm-hmm. on blue. And blue on blue? Blue within blue, or blue oh. on blue is something what they say blue about their eyes. Blue within blue. Plans within plans. Yeah. Oh, so that's in a pattern. Layers here. within layers. Onions uh, within onions. Trust the fungus. <laughs> <laughs> Trust the onions. Yeah, man, just another layer is peeled away. Another Mondo layer. <laughs> oh, a purple onion. So, yeah, in the book, I guess the blue was a really different shade of blue. It was more like a deep, dark indigo. The blue looks like it's painted on. It's a glowing blue. I almost wondered if it was a post-production effect. It was what it looked It wasn't like a bad one. Like, no, they, it looked fine, I think. Yeah. Like, even in shots where their eyes would only appear for a second, they always seem to have just like a little tiny bit of blue mm-hmm. for that extra immersion. Extra zazz. Yeah. yeah little... There's this weird, funny thing where like Thufer he Thufer I'm Thufer thanks for asking I'm a super Thufer oh my goodness I'm Thufer what a Thufer do he does this weird affectionate thing where like he puts his hand on Paul's left shoulder and then he sort of like punches punches 
punches his right shoulder. Oh. Like, I love you, man. Like a drunk guy or That's something. Okay. I liked it. I thought it was funny. He looks like a drunk throughout this whole movie. So then this fight bot descends from the ceiling. <laughs> That's a bunch of logs yeah, piled on top bot. of each other with swords sticking out of it. He's he gets, spins around all the swords. and it makes this kind of clockwork noise mm-hmm. as it spins around. But Paul's not into it. Yeah, this thing's awesome. It's like a Doom bot. It's got like fucking spears shooting do out you, of it. Do and... you think it would win the BattleBot Championships no, on G4 Television? I don't think it would win the BattleBot Champions. It would win the Beyblade tournament, though. Because oh, yeah. That's, that's what the ultimate Beyblade. Sure. That's the giant Beyblade. Because that's what I thought Paul was going to strap onto his wrist at first when I saw that the first time. Like, I thought he was getting his fucking Bay wrister and he was going to shoot blades at the fucking robot. Hey, kid, you fucking stupid God, we're, we're on pace to do, like, a three-hour episode, Oh, by the shit. Way. This is our epic, man. This is bah, the epic poem by bah, the... Bah, this is bah. the... The final epic tome of the Monocle Movie Dude Legends broadcasting from outer space. Before you guys know it, sandworms would descend on your planet. Spice would become a rampant drug. You would become an addict. So anyway, yeah, he fights a robot. A fucking and log they treat bot, him, They dude. treat him the weirding way, which is pretty weird. Yeah, it makes me think of freaks and geeks. He's able to make a weapon out of the sound, and he has to wear this stupid thing on his wrist, like a, one of those Apple Google watches. He makes a certain sound, it's like, ah, uh, buh, and it shoots out like a laser blast. Yeah, like a... Uh, he scars pieces of this robot blade. off, and he totally wins, and there's a nice little inner monologue from Picard. He's like, such precision. <laughs> Such control. <laughs> this weapon, yeah, it's a wrist-mounted voice launcher. And depending on what words you say into it, it does different things. After this, like, he hangs out with his dad. And his dad has this whole monologue about how he's gonna miss this planet because you're leaving and going to Iraq as soon. He's like, out change. Something sleeps inside of us. Because he's German. He doesn't sound that German. He sounds that German. Alright. <laughs> yeah. But a little different. He's from Berlin. That was probably more Bavaria. We have several strange, like, dreams or vision sequences and this is where we get into our first one it's like a wet dream <laughs> well it made me think of Anakin in the prequels yeah when he's like tossing and turning in bed and he's like oh oh partner and remember that he... shit yeah that was cool yeah, that, was pretty... <laughs> that was pretty metal dude that was badass you know how cool that was yeah he sees Sting talking I will kill you and yeah. then he sees the scary bald lady from the beginning of the movie the psychic priestess yeah he has this vision of a drop of water dropping into more water Water. Yeah, he wakes up. That's the first time he mumbles to himself, Dune, Arrakis, Dune, Desert Planet. He says it like a billion times. Yeah, it says it like 80 times. Not a drop movie. of water. We find out Paul was supposed to be like a girl because the Ben Gesserit group, it's this group of psychic ladies who are only supposed to have girls when they have kids. And she had a boy because she was in love with the Duke and I'm guessing that the Duke wanted to have a son. 90 generations of this breeding led up to him, I guess. Fucking like strange, right? Important. We'll see him flex out a little flex bit later muscles. on. Yeah. Then Paul meets with the Reverend Mother. The dreaded box scene. I thought this scene was great. It was <clears> really cool. It gives her a chance to show off one of her cool psychic powers, which is the voice. It makes her voice really low and raspy, and it makes you it command amplifies others. It. it amplifies it. Makes it louder as well. Makes it louder, and you can command people to do as you will. Though Paul shows that he is capable of resisting it to a degree, because he doesn't do it right away, which he does. Yeah, he's very psychically strong as well yeah. already without any training or anything. Yeah, it's kind of like this movie's equivalent of like a Jedi mind trick. I always took this stuff as a, we're seeing the later stages of Paul's 
training. Kind of like one more, make sure he's like tip top, good to go before he touches down anywhere. And uh, so he's yeah, going, maybe. he's undergoing the physical training real quick and then the mental training, which is this hand in the box sort of scene. So this, yeah. The priestess commands Paul to put his hand inside this box yeah, it looks like he's without knowing himself. what's in it. Yeah, he looks terrified. And it's just a regular box too. It's mm-hmm. just like a small green box with a hole in it. And that's all yeah, it and she's like, put it in there. What is I'm it? not going to tell like, you what's what inside is. the box. Pain. Great delivery. Puts his hand inside, and then she quickly whips out, like, this little finger knife. What the hell was that? But, yeah, it was in order to keep him from flinching and pulling his hand out of the box. Yeah. She threatens him that. Well, she says that he'll die if he takes his hand out of the box. I don't know if it even would require her to do anything. I think she would, because she had that little, like, finger knife. Maybe that's what she meant. It's like, the way she said it, though, it sounded like she meant, if you take your hand out of the box before the process is complete, you'll just die. That's the thing with this movie is the dialogue is it's really weird. ambiguous it's really yeah. weird and it's kind of hard Things to aren't always explained very well yeah it's hard to get a feel for it too sometimes yeah you kind of have just to dive in i guess yeah to try to enjoy it uh because it's not necessarily gonna make sense especially the first time you watch it and i love this line he's like talking himself down to get himself through this oh yeah and he's fear is the mind fear killer. is the mind killer fear is the little death and then we see uh to yeah, we see a fairly grotesque image of a hand burning and burning. Yeah, it's like melting. Like, it's like showing us what it feels like for him. Yeah, it's just like this hand that's just blistering. Because she's like just, melting. She's yeah, describing it to him. Like at first, he'll feel an itch, and then that itch and will heat. become a burn. Heat mm-hmm. upon heat, and, and it's built up further and further inside his mind until they both orgasm pretty much, and then she lets him take his hand out of the box. I think inverse yeah. orgasm, whatever the opposite of that is. I don't know. Which I'm I guess with you on that. The whole antigasm? Yeah. antigasm. Yeah, like it's like yeah. She freaks out and lets him take his hand out. His psychic energy is like equaling oh, or even overpowering her yeah. own. Yeah, a little is Harry what it seems Potter like. Voldemort yeah. action. For you. <laughs> yeah. That's what she reminds me of. Is Voldemort? Yeah, he passes the test. Yeah, he pulls his hands out and it's fine. Yeah. No blisters, no scars, nothing. All the pain was totally just in his head. <laughs> None of it was real. Nothing more than just a mental test, and he passed. He actually uh, surpassed the master too yeah he said that nobody has ever been able to keep their hand in the box for so long so would she have killed him sounds like people would have pulled their hand out yeah yeah i think she would have or that he would have just died from taking his hand out somehow there's some line that his mom jessica says like i'm worried about the life of my son he might not make it through this because no man had ever even taken this test let alone passed it they mentioned that like this was just a test for the spartan Sarah, which is an all-female group. Basically, it's labeling him as the chosen one. Yeah, I mean, chosen one. Harry Potter. <laughs> wee, wee, wee. It cuts to the Harkonnen planet. Really, really good sound design on this. There's this low rumble, and this planet looks very industrial yeah. and creepy. This base is deep in this movie. It's oh, yeah. crazy how heavy the base is. Yeah, it is. It's awesome. It's pretty damn cool. It's a really good contrast to the previous planet. Atreides are Atre- the good guys. I'm not Atreides. even going to bother. The Atreides, their planet it was like very natural looking, even though it was mostly just ocean. Like It had a sort of peaceful... Organic. Organic. 
organic yeah. grace to it. And then you get to this place and it looks like it's an industrial hellscape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With a greenish glow and there's like fires burning everywhere. It kind of reminds me of Blade Runner. We see Brad Dorif in like a spacecraft. He's got super big ass, long ass eyebrows. Got, he looks yeah. like Gandalf. He looks perpetually surprised. <laughs> he does. His, his he eyes are very wide. Yeah. And he's repeating this mantra to himself. By will alone I set the mind in motion. Something, something. The lips become stained. The stains become a warning. It's by will alone I set the mind in motion. But it's kind of like a rosary thing. Just like walking oh, like around a Hail the Mary. rosary. Yeah. Our father, yeah. Because he is like a human computer. So then we get into one of the weirdest scenes in this goddamn godforsaken movie. One of the best, I'd say, uh, as well. Yeah, one of the best. This is pretty awesome. So we meet the Baron, Vladimir Harakonin. We see all these people, including him, in this kind of puke green room. His appearance is really bizarre, right? He has all these sores on the right side of his face. Like the makeup guys, they did a really good job. He <laughs> yeah, did an excellent really job. Really gross. He must have smelled just like old, nasty fried chicken and just like mustard grease. You know, you're right about that. I never thought about how bad he must smell. Just thinking about him getting this whiff of just feet. Mm, we can all be thankful that smell of vision <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank God for that. I think it's a racial trait of these Arconas because they're all like perpetually sweaty. They all are just like constantly glistening in body juice. It's kind of disgusting, their whole race. Gross. Yeah, uh, he, ginger, well, which doesn't help. Yeah, they all have like oh. orange hair. Yeah. You see a lot of the people on this planet have this kind of reverse mohawk, like where just the middle of their head is shaved. They look like failed Weasleys from Harry Potter. <laughs> failed <laughs> yeah, Weasleys. Yeah, the failed Weasleys get shaved down the middle of the head. Like, this is everyone that tried out for that part and they didn't mm-hmm. make it. They didn't make you're it like, good. you're a failed Weasley. <laughs> Ronald <laughs> Weasley. <laughs> Well, the doctor, he was injecting this needle into the Baron's boils to, like, drain them to make him look a little less disgusting. You are so beautiful, my Baron. (laughs) I lovingly treat your diseases for all eternity, saying all this weird oh, shit. Sick. Remember that? Yeah, a lot of weird belligerent sexual tension between all these <laughs> all these Arconans as well. That's a thing in the Wikipedia article. The only source I trust. The only source anyone should. <laughs> they brought up this Harconian dude with homosexuality and like how it was portrayed in a negative way. What do you guys think about that? Wait, what? I didn't think about it so, either. So yeah, I think the Baron was supposed to be gay, and this came out in 1984, early in the years of the AIDS epidemic when it was mostly just gay men who were being diagnosed with it. And if you see a lot of early AIDS <laughs> patients, they didn't have necessarily like boils or anything, but one of the ways that it presented in that time was these blotches all over the skin, these lesions. It almost looked like cancer. So that's what some people have seen it as. One person called this the most homophobic movie they have ever seen. <laughs> I don't know if you can necessarily blame the movie because I think in the book this character was gay, but more broadly in the Dune series. From what I read, and I don't know if you can count this because it's in the books and not in the movie, but there are a lot, quite a few gay characters and some of them are good and some of them are bad. We do have a villain who happens to be gay. I don't know if you can really call it a homophobic movie because of that. I don't know. I guess we only see, like... We only see him, though. Evil gay characters. We only see the one gay-ish character who is a bad guy. In the article, it uh, brought up homosexuality was associated with extreme violence, sexual 
sexual debauchery. Yeah, that was well, it was one person's like, characterization. Of yeah, it. yeah, it really was. And I don't know if I see it to be honest. But I'm not gay, so I don't know. I don't know about the book. I haven't read it. But in this movie, it's pretty ambiguous what the sexual orientation, if any, this character has. I He's in know. love with his job. Yeah. He is. He's married to his work. Um, <laughs> I don't know if, it, if <laughs> Stay that's home, really Dad. there. That's why he lies around. Maybe it's because I'm such a fanboy, but I can't see David Lynch making an intentionally homophobic movie. Nah, I, just don't I see can't that either. Him. That's why I'm not really fully on board with that, but I guess I can't deny it. I can say going into this blind, it's not what I took away from this. Yeah. I just thought it was funny. That's all it really was, just how overplayed it was. Just like a dude that's so evil, he's in love with it. Like Palpatine. Yeah, hey. yeah Palpatine. Then Sting walks in. Mm-hmm. And also Jack Nance is in this scene. He's in a few scenes. He's the guy that you guys thought was Bill Murray. Was Bill Murray? Yeah, Bill like. Murray works for the Baron. But <laughs> I love Jack Nance. He's also in Twin Peaks. He plays Eraserhead in Eraserhead. <laughs> He's in a lot of David Lynch's movies. It was cool to see him in there. Yeah, one guy, the Beast Raban. He makes his own little juice box, right? Yeah, he does. Mm. He's got like a glass vial with a plunger on top, and it's got something inside of it. I don't know what it was. Some something. kind of small animal, like a bug or something. Yeah, and he, he just, just smushes it. it, and then he drinks. Makes it like a sippy cup. It was Through a cute. straw. Yeah. And then when it's empty, he just throws it into like some water. Dad says he's got a child's mind. <laughs> he's the Baron's nephew? I, um, I thought he was his brother at first, but I think in a later scene, the Emperor calls him his nephew. Maybe he is. I know Sting's character, Fade, is also supposed to be his nephew. So maybe they both are. It could be. And they talk about how they have a traitor working for them. The Atreides oh. family. Yes. He starts flying around at this point, the Baron does. He presses like a button on his onesie jumpsuit that he wears. <laughs> he's got he also. Suit. He has a really strange appearance in so many ways. He's he, very, very hefty. He's a big, <laughs> big rotund boy. fellow, dude. <laughs> he doesn't wear shoes, and we see that both his fingernails and his toenails are painted black. He hangs out like under this vent. What was it that they dumped all over him? It takes a little bath. It takes a bath oh. in what it looks starts like... dripping out. It looks like spent motor oil. Yeah, it does. But before oh. that, don't two of the henchmen like they bring in this weird looking like reverse mohawk guy wearing a white trash bag who's got like a bunch of flowers? <laughs> he looks really scared. <laughs> And he he's carrying all these purple tulips, which is interesting. It made me think of another motif in another David Lynch movie. I mean, the Twin Peaks movie, Firewalk With Me, there's something about, like, a blue rose that's really important. And then this movie has purple tulips. And what's the connection? But anyway. He's got flowers in, like, all of his movies, I think. Aren't there um, flowers in blue? Velvet? Yeah, like, in the opening, you see those bright red tulips contrasted with the bright blue sky. Yeah, that's, like, like, the first image you see. It's like feet in a Tarantino movie. He's a foot freak. I'm convinced. <laughs> In that ghetto. I gotta see that whole video. <laughs> I gotta see how much of an ass he really is. I think he's a little bit of an ass. I wanna know. So then he floats over to the guy in the white jumpsuit or whatever, and he fucking kills him in like a really weird ritualistic way. Everyone's installed with this heart plug. Heart plug. Yeah. So it's like a plug on a bathtub where it's like this little plug on a person's chest. You can just pull it out when they die. So the <laughs> you pull out this like zip tie. What, Keith? <laughs> you pull this out this funny. like this zip like, tie thing pluck it out and it's just like bloop, 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 mm-hmm. Bloop. yeah he just like takes his blood he rubs it all over his face rubs it all over and his body I think like he rubs extremely he rubs, sexual well he rubs the black stuff that he was bathing in on yeah. the guy that he kills as well oh yeah this is when the Castlevania music starts playing yeah. like this really awesome synth guitar 
do, do. That's that scene. And mm-hmm. as he's doing this, like it cuts to everybody's faces. And there's this one doctor who has like the most neutral look you could ever see on a human being. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't give a shit. He has at like all. these goggles on, which adds to it. And it's funny, like as he first starts doing it, it cuts to Sting's face, and he looks freaked out. Well, and then it cuts back to him a little bit later, he and he looks delighted. It. He kind of likes it, man. Not even kind of. Like he really. He's likes it. so into this heart plug murder, man. <laughs> he's nuts. He's got the bloodlust. He needs yeah, it. Yeah, just like Columbus. He's yeah. getting murderous murder on purpose. purpose. As it pans to all the people in the room, there's also the, uh, the two other patients, I guess you would say. One that had his ears sewn up, and the other one that had no eyes. And then yeah, there's a lot of strange too. people uh, in this. Yeah, I took this as the people who wouldn't join the Baron's regime, and they just kind of enslaved them and Twin sewed their mouths shut and ears shut so they wouldn't be aware of what I had they were doing. Said, um, yeah, I, turned I have no mouths and yeah. I must scream. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That and the Cinnabites from Hellraiser. I totally got a Hellraiser vibe off that. I don't know when that came out. 87. Hmm. So this was before Hellraiser as well. So yeah, we cut back to the Atreides planet after that scene mm-hmm. and they're about to leave yeah, to, go to, to go to Arrakis. I thought that the space shots, like the spacescapes, they look really good for 83. Oh my god. And this is like my favorite part of the movie coming up. It's just so dreamlike and bizarre and really hard to describe. We see all these spaceships flying into this big doorway in the sky that looks like a gold picture frame. It shows Paul and his parents with their pug about to go through the door. It's so just otherworldly and strange. Like it cuts to this landscape that looks like it's from a H.R. Geiger painting. There's Geiger again. And we see the slug looking guy from the beginning of the movie and he like pumps these fucking laser blasts out of his mouth and then it shows us different planets and like everything's sort of spinning around him and are and you guys lost because I am and there's all this like I don't know if there's supposed to be stars or if it's like dust and it's kind of like a racer head everything's kind of spinning around It's wild. and we see these waves of light and gold and they're all converging together an orgasm of the science fiction fantasy it's one of these strange kind of David Lynch visions it's like something out of a razor head that's something about this movie even though it's very very different it reminds me of other David Lynch movies really like other early ones that he did like a razor head and the elephant man because mm-hmm. they are so kind of dreamy and spaced out and strange yeah even like blue velvet Isle at heart those movies are pretty like like a fever dream sort of. like they're more yeah, subtle they're not like as, they're not as fantastical but they still have that feel to them yeah like he has that weird energy to his movies and I don't know what it is but he's got it man yeah you can kind of tap into something that mm-hmm. is rare and then they get to Arrakis because they fold space for them 41 minutes in that's when we finally get to the titular Dune from Dune that's their planet Arrakis it's not a trouble yeah, the first thing we see, though, is this woman with a heavy Italian accent talking about holy war and jihad and stuff. Okay, so this is weird. When I was watching this movie, anyways, I thought of Iraq because of Iraq's is. Arrakis. Yeah. Arrakis. I was like, might as well name it just Iraq's is. And, uh, yeah. Wait, what am I saying? Thing, let me I, get my beer up. Yeah, let me hold my beer. No, you do it. <laughs> I think that this spice coming from this one deserty place could be uh, an allegory for oil coming from the Middle East, another very sandy place. Probably even in the 60s when Herbert was writing this crap, that was probably where most of America's oil came from. It was from the Mideast. It's this all-important resource. Even in today's modern day and age, everybody's still fighting over it. And, I don't even uh, need it. Yeah. 
But I like the shot when they exit the spaceship. Like, you see the heat waves, and it looks like it's really, really roasting out there. It's a little bit of a time skip, because they're settling in. They get the shields raised. The shield technology for the city is the same that they use for their bodies. Same kind of bronze sort of color. Was it CG? The shield was. The shield probably. Oh, the big, oh, oh, yeah. Was this, like, the first time CG was really ever used? No. Tron was two years before this, and that was, like, I think mostly CG. Maybe not mostly, but a lot of the effects were computers. Oh, okay. Even Star Wars had some computer effects in 1977. Oh, shit. I don't know how much. They did use computers in that filmmaking process. Um, so after yeah. these guys get settled in, they go to meet with the Doctor? I think, wasn't he like an ambassador for the Emperor? They like, Well, they meet a different Doctor. He's been on Arrakis for a while. You can tell yeah. his eyes glow blue. Yeah, he blue is. Um, yeah, it turns out he is a Fremen. And this guy is Max von Sydow, who was in a lot of other movies from the Seventh Seal all the way up to the new Star Wars movie, the legendary Swedish man. Yeah, they talk to him about how to use these rubber suits. Which are basically and, uh, like survival suits. Like you wear them. Yeah, they recycle you... your sweat and your piss, I think. It's cool how <laughs> it explains so much in such great detail. You have to wear these nose plugs. You got to breathe in through your mouth and out it, through your yeah, nose. Yeah, they explain like how the water's recycled and used. It keeps it at like... Yeah, it sorts the salt out of yeah. your sweat. So we, yeah. when you drink it again, it's just pure water. Yeah, it keeps the body temperature regulated. It can it for weeks, even in the like, deep desert. And then the Fremen guy notices that Paul is like, you've assembled yours desert style. It just seemed the proper way. Yeah, but also the yes. suit like gets rid of your waist too. Yeah, it's the like, they deals even, with your yeah urine and feces. They make it's a point to explain that. It's, it's in, just in one line, but yeah, it's it is awesome. there. So cool. And Paul can just tell this dude's a fucking Fremen, bro. Yeah, he just knows. You just feel it. And uh, the Fremen's like, he's the fucking chosen one. He knows always, before even being told of them. Could he be the one? There's one scene that's like real quick of Dean Stockwell doing autopsies. He's up to shady business. I don't know. It's never really explained that well what the hell he's actually doing. Not really. Just he's doing something shady. He's cutting shit open. That's pretty much it. Well, that's how they reveal to the audience that he's the man on the inside because they cut to to him after the scene with the Baron. He's like, I have a traitor on the inside. And then the next scene is his face. The doctor's. they're flying out in a little craft up over the desert. They spy some worm business. Mm. Worm sign. I like. We got worm sign. I like. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Worm sign in three, two, one. Worm yeah. sign. It really is like a unique universe. Yeah. It's kind of cool. These I worms do. that we've been talking about. What are these worms exactly? They <laughs> remind me of Magic the Gathering. There are these giant worms in Magic the Gathering. They're pretty powerful creatures. They're ground-based creatures. <laughs> And they look a lot like... They look a lot like the movie. (laughs) (laughs) You got fucking Dorito face over here. (laughs) The Dorito Frito Cheeto. And they look a lot like the the worms from Magic the Gathering. They're ground-based creatures, and a lot of them require a lot of resource. Ground-based resource. So, to... Related to something that people other than fucking retarded nerds will know, (laughs) think about Beetlejuice or Tremors, like Mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier. I mean, they're like those big bastards. They hang out in the desert. (laughs) That's offensive. Um, Yeah, they hang out in the deep desert, and they move towards any rhythmic vibrations, so they disrupt a lot of the spice mining. A lot like Tremors. Yes. Anyone's familiar. Yeah, and they're really, really big. They can grow up to 450 meters, which is something like, I don't know, probably 1,500 feet long. So like five football fields. Crazy. Big ass. See Peyton Manning. I bet I could throw football over their mountains. (laughs) What it took state. 
<laughs> See, Manny knew that, man. <laughs> Let's see Gronk going for the long haul there. Let's go, Gronk. Tonka Donuts. So Paul, the Duke, Picard, and the doctor that they met up with, they're on this ship. They see the worm. They go to warn the spice mining operation, the people that are working. They don't want them to know that the Duke is on the plane. Like, they try Kick to ass keep Duke. it subtle. Yeah. Kick-ass Duke. He's fucking radical, dude. Yeah, the Duke is, he impresses a lot of these people. He's more interested in saving the lives of these spice man men. Spice itself. Than saving the Spice Girls. <laughs> what you're saying this should have been called, Keith? Spice World? If you want to get with my friends. Spice up your life! You gotta get Everybody with my friends. <laughs> spice up your life! Every man, every girl! If you want to be my lover, you gotta get with my friends. You gotta get with my friends. <laughs> It's a real spice of life. Oh, baby. And yeah, 52 minutes in, we see your first sandworm. This is a badass motherfucker. These sandworm effects are great, right? Oh, my God, yes. The puppeteering on these is Great. Yeah, they look cool. Yeah, this worm basically just comes up underneath the entire spice harvesting complex and just bites it apart in one bite. He like, gobbles it up. Fucking loves it. The uh, spice radio operator man is played by David Lynch himself, the director of yeah. this movie. Oh, wow. Oh, sire. I. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, guy. He's got a really good performance. I think he's pretty good. I liked him in this movie. I liked him even more That's when he's one, in Twin Peaks. Two, three, comedy. One, two, three, comedy. That's comedy's time. Okay, we don't like one, two, three funny how about three two, two one funny if you ever saw that much of louis keith but he's in that show i did remember that in season three, that guy maybe? who talks like this who's uh, telling louis you've got to be funny oh yeah the agent guy that's david lynch anyway <laughs> they land and they get everybody out he's like run 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 <laughs> <laughs> he shouts in deep german run <laughs> Keep thinking of Die Hard, man. Mm -hmm. they get, yeah, they get them all out of there and they get them out just in time. Mm -hmm. yeah, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I was thinking about. Hi how guys, was. I'm Mac. <laughs> <laughs> it's this foamy beer. Yeah, this look, stuff, man. Smell this. Tell me that's not metal beer. Oh, wait, show me dude. the inside of your glass again. What's oh. up? It looks like the inside of a toilet. Yeah, it looks like somebody took a dank piss in that. <laughs> The prophecy has been fulfilled. Chug the hard chunked Paul, he gets doped up on spice. He takes some spice and he eats it, and it gives him crazy fever. Well, some other things happen before that, though. What is the spice? So Dean Stockwell is talking to Jessica about how like something weird happened to his wife. It seems like he's alluding that the Harkonnens killed his wife. And then yeah, Paul is contemplating the effects of the spice, and then an intruder enters his room in the form of a weird disembodied syringe. Yeah, the flying dildo, right? Death dildo. He dips into this wooden bowl. He's just like, ah, oh, yeah, I got some time off. I'm gonna eat some of this spice. And then all of a sudden, his effects are instant. They just yeah. hit you right like that. And it's just like, what is it doing to my body? What is the spice doing to me? Yeah, what it is seems happening? like a pretty interesting drug. What is happening to my mind? Desert planet. And then this Dude, little, like, and then there's this panel in the wall that opens up and this syringe probe Floats thing, in. anal probe sort of device. Because they seem to have some anti-grav tech in mm -hmm. this universe. Yes. Because yeah. we got, like, flying lights and stuff. Yeah, flying 
flying light fixtures that have little ornamental wings on them. Yeah. yeah. The syringe that floats in, it's a like big phone volition. A really high tech universe. What do you call it? A like, hunter seeker? Yeah, it's basically this giant needle that floats into the room. It's got like this weird buzzing droning noise to it. And um, <sighs> Paul is an inner monologue letting us know that the uh, thing can't see him if he doesn't move. It's like the T Rex from Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. So it's got like motion sensor. But... Yeah, it senses motion in order to find its targets. He outsmarts it by staying still. And then this tiny psychic woman opens the door. It flies towards her. He grabs it while it's flying in midair, and then it jams it into the wall and it blows up. We see also that, oh shit, poop is about to go down. Yeah, a bunch of Harkonnen. <laughs> yeah, Kyle's gonna take a shit. Yeah, it's gonna eat a bunch Pause of. Pause the shoot. Yeah, I ate a bunch of. <laughs> Taco Bell. Burritos yesterday. Fourth He's gonna do one lousy. Yeah, fourth meal. <laughs> yeah, it was late at night and everything else was closed. He really wanted to Whopper Jr., but BK wouldn't open on Dune Planet. BK. <laughs> Burger King. Chicken fries. Have it your way. His dad opens the door to his room and Paul has been drugged. What? Unbeknownst to him, it looks like he's just asleep, but then you hear him. He's trying to talk, but he can't. Nerve, nerve gas. And it's never explained how he was drugged, and I'm guessing it was like the 45 minutes or so that was cut out of this movie <laughs> that probably explained what happened. I think it'd be cool if David Lynch did do a director's cut, if they like let him come back and rearrange all the footage, all those hours of footage, just however he wanted it to be done. But I, mean, I guess he, he just will. so he checks his son. He figures he's still asleep. He goes out and he finds the housemaid that Paul was talking to earlier yeah. dying in a hallway. And, and then he gets fucking ace too. Dagger flies or like a needle of some kind hits him in the chest, and then the doctor comes out revealing himself to be the traitor. Yeah, Dean Stockwell was a bad dude all along. He asked him why he does it, and he said, "You can get at the Baron because the Baron's coming, dude. And I'll give you this gas tooth." And he fucking yanks out one of his teeth, pops in this poison gas tooth. And he's like, with one bite and a good gust of wind, a good exhale, you can take him out. And he's like, the tooth, the tooth, <laughs> the tooth. Snake eater. And yeah, the whole city that they're in just gets lit the fuck up. The Baron just comes in, up guns everywhere. Blazing. He wastes them because he deactivated the shields. Like, he left them totally wide open in defense. Yeah, Thufer. He's looking at all the wielding modules. Remember the wielding modules? He's like, the yeah. wielding modules, they're all being destroyed. And like, the shield is down. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and yeah, like it's... Oh, no, nothing in Thufer with Thufer. Yeah, it's gone crazy. Fucking Captain Picard tries to counterattack. He brings his pug with him. <laughs> yeah. Is this when they're all standing next to each other and he's just holding the pug? Yeah, he's got the dog. Yeah, and he's, he's like, like oh, the charge. That pug, it's so weird. Everyone is Everyone is still except for the pug. The pug is constantly moving around. But all of yeah, like the human actors are still. Yeah, like he walks he walks by a dead body and then he's in Picard's arms. He just like jumps yeah. from scene to scene. Like just it's the one constant. Weird. And he's just <laughs> constantly, his head is bobbing every which way but loose. Well, I mean, it's dog acting. You can't expect that much. <laughs> yeah, you got a point, actually. We got to a shot of Dean Stockwell just crying alone in a corner. Yeah. He did some bad things, but you know, he feels bad about it. He's not a total asshole. I mean, maybe he, he like kind of came around on that stuff. 
he, he didn't he did feel it. bad about it at the time, but now I think he probably like, I think he always did yeah, because I mean, if you think about it earlier in the scene when they're talking about his wife, he doesn't want to talk about it, and he's getting pretty emotional the whole time. I think he made this moral compromise to get his revenge. He's what he tells the Duke. He's like, "You were dead anyway, but using you, I can get at the Baron. So yeah. this works for me." He's sacrificing people that he cares about to get his own revenge. Like yeah. he's doing something that is pretty bad, but he's doing it for I guess good a good reason. reason as you could expect. I like the moral ambiguity in this movie. Yeah. It's a lot of Yeah, it's not very gray. black and white. And then that fat fuck Baron, he like spits <laughs> in Jessica's <laughs> face. I'm just going, oh. I'm just, a, just one spit. Just a bit of spittle for your face. What? what is and he hawks a loogie on her <laughs> face. It right lands right in her eye, like, basically. <laughs> Dad. Am I pretty? Am I pretty? Am I beautiful? Am I beautiful? <laughs> Tony wants to fuck. <laughs> we'll fuck anything that moves. Yeah, yeah like, what is that all about? The spit take. What he, the fuck? He's a grody dude. He's, he's a grody disgusting. dude, and she's the he's wife dirty of his bro. sworn enemy. Like, I want this guy to be defeated. Sting and Brad Dorff are there, too. Yeah, and they're, yeah, like, yeah. just making fun of everybody being dickholes. <laughs> just picking on these guys. Yeah. And, you know, we see the battle isn't going well. These guys, Harukan or whatever the fuck, the Emperor promised to send five legions of his fucking Harukan terror troops. Yeah, super troopers. In the Dooniverse, <laughs> they are the baddest of bad dudes. They're basically like Spartans. You know, they're trained from a young age not to have any mercy or compassion on their enemies. They're encouraged to have sex with each other. They do each other. <laughs> Hard. Constantly. <laughs> Big I mean, time. Builds good morale. Builds character. Yeah. Builds camaraderie. Camaraderie. If I were a Spartan. <laughs> Then Stockwell <laughs> approaches the Baron. He's like, I did everything you asked. I done did it, sir. Dumb. Shit, cut that out. <laughs> Slightly racist. Yikes. Brad Dorff double-crosses Dean Stockwell, and he stabs him right in the back. Yeah, cuts him right down. You've outlived your usefulness. You're dead to me. Get the hell out of here. He goes out pretty badass, so he's like, you think you've defeated me? <laughs> Don't you think I know what I've done for my wife? <laughs> yeah, he's not having any of it. He's like, he's fuck a, you. basically saying choke on it. <laughs> choke on him. Choke on these nuts. Got him. <laughs> um, Paul and his mama get taken away on a little mini craft. And they're flowing around by this deep desert. And Paul is now mastered the voice. So he knows how to, like, manipulate these guys. One of them's, like, feeling up his mom, like, right in front of him. Dude, you're going to take that? No and way. Are you going to take that, bro? You take that, bro? What, are you going to fucking take that? Shut <laughs> <laughs> the fuck. No one's going to fuck my hot mom but me. <laughs> I mean, come on, bruh. You think anyone else is gonna do your mom for you? I mean, shit. Damn, it. Come on, dude. They kick those guys' asses. He busts his mama loose. Yeah. And they take control of the spacecraft. And then we cut back to the Duke, kick ass Duke. And he's about to get Dukey Hauser. Dukey Hauser. 
<laughs> yeah, NPH. In full effect. The Baron is like taunting him and Brad Dwarf's getting all in his face. And he busts that tooth loose. And he's like, ah, ah, like Chucky. Ah. And he fucking just keels over dead. Uh, it gave me the shakes. Like hearing him bite down on that tooth, like a crunching noise. I can't stand hearing Imagine that sort of thing with biting down on one of your teeth. Well, he like got one of his own it. teeth pulled earlier with no anesthetic. Oh, this is a walk in the park for him. Stockwell yeah. pulled yeah. it out and popped in a poison family. <laughs> It's like, tooth. fuck it, I had a tooth ripped out of my head. Yeah, it's like six uh, hours ago. <laughs> um, so they crash land near the South Pole because then they're in the Forbidden Zone. Dr. Zayas, 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 Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, 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 Zayas. Paul really doesn't give a shit that his dad's dead. His mom is weeping and sobbing like, he's dead! He's dead, Paul! He's like, Because, yeah, they can just sense it. Yeah, it's like, whatever, bro. he says, where are my feelings? Kind of interesting. Like, he's even confused by his own lack of emotion. Because he's all whacked out. He's all spiced up. I'm telling you, we got these spice freaks running around. We gotta cut down on this a problem. Paul, he has a vision similar to the one earlier, and he Credits the spice for his visions. It awakened a deeper root of his understanding of uh, these visions. They're becoming more clear and precise. And Paul just knows, by the way, that his mom is pregnant. A little later in the movie, she has a baby girl. That's like the predator. The sleeper must awaken. The sleeper has awakened. Rejoice! <laughs> then, like, Von Sydow, the Fremen guy from earlier, he gets his suit all ripped open, and they send him out to the desert just to die. I like that scene where they rip off all of this stuff. All this liquid water sprays sp out. out everywhere. Yeah, it's probably his water and unfiltered piss. It's Gross. so cool. The water of life. Such attention to detail in yeah. this movie. Mm. And then in between these we get cuts of a uh, frou-frou. Like, Thufa. Thufa. <laughs> Thanks for asking. We get cuts of the Baron like basically his new fucking torture puppet because he just does whatever he wants with him. He like installs yeah. a heart plug in his body. He makes yeah. him drink Well, that's milk. the thing is he's been poisoned and and there's this type of poison, again, explained better in the book. It's this kind of poison that it just stays in your system for, like, ever. So you have to take the antidote every day. So that's what that scene is about, where Baron Harkonnen and Fade, they come in and taunt and tease and please <laughs> Thufur. And they tell him that, oh, you gotta milk this cat. It's tied to a rat. It's tied to a weird machine to get your daily dose of the antidote. <clears throat> that sucks, right? That's Sounds like a pain terrible. in the balls. Paul plants a thumper in the sand. Try to master footsteps in case any worms show up. Yeah, this worm busts out of the sand regardless and they climb up this cliff to get away from it. It's kind of weird that these worms care that much about a few people walking around. They come towards every rhythmic vibration in the sand that they hear, but why do they care about something that small? Well, like, they might be hungry. Maybe that's what they eat, is people. Two people, that's like nothing for something this size. That's hey, true. man, that's like maybe a bag they're of potato chips. cold-blooded, though. It. Like snakes and stuff, they can just eat like one egg and they're good for like six months. I believe that. That's a possibility. Yeah, then he falls off a cliff, Paul, after climbing up. How far did he fall? Like, like a thousand feet. Like down. ten thousand feet. Like a hundred thousand feet. <laughs> like, like every yeah. inconceivable awful way to fall. Like he's falling his foot gets stuck in a rock. And he, he hits his forward. head. 
multiple like, times. He hits a few rocks on the way down yeah. before he finally lands in this some sand at the bottom of this thing, and then he almost so gets rough. crushed by a rock yeah, that falls he after. Barely him. dodges this thing. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and he just gets up and dusts himself off. Yeah. He'd like nothing happened. Yeah, it was like, a little crazy. Like, yeah. It's oh. a suit. It's got to be the suit. It yeah. probably is a suit. It's a super suit. Yeah, man, we're back. <laughs> Keithless this time. He had some very important cheeseburger business. That cheeseburger to party. Attend yeah, to. Decatur. So Paul just fell down a thousand feet to like, what should have been his death, but he's fine. He's okay. He's a member of the Saints. He's got all those upgrades. Yeah, the worm goes away. Somebody set up another thumper somewhere else. Nobody knows who or why. Yeah. Don't they stumble upon a tribe of Fremens at this point? What are the um, Fremens? So the Fremen are the people that live out in the desert. I don't know. It's the fucking warrior tribe. They all have those rubber water suits. They have the really blue eyes because they live on the spice planet. So they're really spicy. But yeah, man. They're getting hot deep in the desert. They're uh, sand people, essentially. They even kind of do a little oh, oh sort of thing sometimes. They make an sometimes. interesting sound. They make weird sounds, too. The leader is, if anybody's out there seen Twin Peaks, this is Big Ed from Twin yeah. Peaks. And he says something really weird when they see Kyle McLaughlin. He's like, I will take the boy man. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know what that was supposed to signify. That's like a native language or something. <sighs> Before he can do unnatural deeds to Kyle McLaughlin, his mom stops him. Mom's her... gonna fight all his battles for him. She charms him to death. She chokeholds him. <laughs> it's a charming chokehold, Oh, wait, that's a I different guess. movie. He uses the weirding way, and it's pretty weird. <laughs> so he's like in a chokehold, and it's the same face. He's like, if you teach us your ways, I, we will welcome you both. Your water will mix with ours. Weird. A lot of water metaphors. People are really all about water. They're pretty desperate for it. Valuable drop. And then Paul gets free, and he runs into Sean Young, who is the girl of his dreams, literally, that he's been seeing in his visions. So that's cool. I'm glad that happened. You know what, More Paul, of the prophecies fulfilled. It must be nice. Just have a dream, and then, it's, oh, it just happens. Oh, that's great. I'm really glad it just really worked out. Yeah, what a great guy. Yeah, so they do the whole naming ceremony. I don't know what the hell this all means. It's like, we will give you one name secretly to just be used amongst ourselves, and that was Usul, which means the strength of the base of the pillar. Yeah, I mean, that's solid. That's pretty strong. Then there's gonna be another name that they'll use, call him openly, because that goes back into this prophecy again. It's like, what do you call the shadow on the left side of the second moon, or something, and it's Wadib. Doesn't so he Mwadib. want to be called Mwadib? Yeah, so call me Paul Mwadib. And they go to this cave, and they find a shitload of water. What does he say? There's millions of decaliters. A what, decaliter? Which is ten liters. Yeah. I guess he could have just said tens of millions of liters. That decaliter sounds cool. Yeah, it does sound pretty cool. It's pretty funny. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's desert people. Pretty mondo. They say, like, oh, we've got thousands of these places all over the planet. So they have a shitload of water. It's just all hidden. And it cuts back to the Baron just losing his shit flying around in the steam bath. Ah! Yeah, he just, loves it. It's yeah. Scrub down. And we got like Jack Nance. I don't know what he's doing. It looks like he's playing a broken accordion. This really strange like note. It's pretty awful this sounding. atonal noise basically. Yeah, it's spraying out this white mist. I don't know if that contributes to his float bath That's the thing. Is like, the I don't know if on. that's supposed to be like a fucked up musical instrument or if it's like what is controlling the flow of the steam or some combination of both? Maybe it is both, yeah. That's what I 
like to think of it as. It's a twofer. It's a twofer for twofer. Thufer, Super twofer. duper twofer. Twofer. <laughs> two times Tuesday. Hoo-ha. <laughs> twofer can't wait for two times Tuesday. <laughs> oh, God. Fuck Thufer. Fucking him and his 555 deal. He's a bitch. Fourth million motherfucker. You cheap bitch. Man. Big eyebrow having. Why don't you shave those things, man? Yeah, trim them down. What's your problem here? Who wants to look at that? God, don't you have any manners, Worse than Eugene decency? Levy. Sting shows up, and he's making the Baron all hot and bothered. He's coming in all steamy, shiny, and a weird kind of, some kind of metal speedo number. It's, it's like pretty a trippy. powder blue. It's got, like, wings on his briefs there. Really weird. <laughs> he was originally gonna do this scene nude, by the way, <laughs> and the producers chickened out, I guess. I think it's just as effective. It's kind of in character with the movie, just because it's such a weird yeah, get-up. It, like, works. Keith wrote, weird sexual tension. Really weird. The Baron's practically mm -hmm. drooling over him. I don't know if they ever say it in the movie, but I guess in the book, he is supposed to be Fade or Sting's uncle, which is another layer of weirdness. It is weird. It's a weird scene. It works in the movie. I kind of like it. It does. Pretty that good. whole sequence is interesting, yeah. to say the least. <laughs> so I think it's the next scene. The old Reverend Mother, the head psychic lady of the Fremen, is dying, and they want Jessica, Paul's mom, to be the new one. Because she drinks the water of life while she's pregnant, that complicates things in all these weird ways. The baby's born prematurely and with, like, crazy powers. We get, what, a Renesme Yeah, Renesme kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, this is weird shot of, like, a fetus around that. We see Paul making out with Sean Young. Paul gets hot and heavy with his space squeeze and gives a rousing speech to the Fremens so they can crush their enemies. Yeah, he's gonna train them. He's like, I will train a hundred of you and a hundred of you will train the thousands of the rest of you. And he does his whole demo of the weirding way. There's another thing that was really different in the book, I guess. It was basically just Kung Fu. And David Lynch did not want to have like some kind of weird Kung Fu space movie. So they changed it to this thing you can use sound as a weapon. And he tells this guy to like kick the rock. And he kicks oh, it. Yeah. And he like punch it. Punches it's it. Like, Do you like, really want me to punch it? And he's like, Do punch it. He's like, That's gonna break my wrist. It's like, dude, dude. I wasn't asking. <laughs> Okay. Punch the rock! He tells him to yell at it, and he goes, break! And everybody has and a the, good chuckle. <laughs> the rock yells back at him. Like, no. <laughs> Fuck it. And then he's like, anyway. some, some thoughts have a sound, and that sound has a physical form. Mm -hmm. So they can, like, make a certain sound where they're holding this wielding module, they call it. Launches, like, an energy beam or something, so he's able to use that to bust up this rock they are talking about. Yeah, if anyone's played Skyrim, it's the voice in that game. It's the equivalent of that. One of the guys has the wielding module on and he's like hey Maudib and he's like Maudib and then it like starts echoing it's like Maudib and then like a, it blows up a wall yeah. and it cuts to him we got this great look on McLaughlin's face where he, <laughs> super close up and he's like really serious but like inquisitive and he's like my name is a killing word like, he's just, as matter of fact, like, well, that's nice to know. <laughs> I don't know if it was that casual, but it was kind of like, <laughs> oh, okay. They try to, like, tame the sandworms. They're back out in the desert now, and he's like, I'm gonna fucking ride the worm. Yeah, ride the beam. So he fucking climbs up the thing with a grappling hook, starts riding it around. It's kind of like lassoing a horse, this whole scene, right? Yeah, kind of like, like that. He, like, kind of tries to break like the a horse. bucking bronco, 400 meter long Reminds sandworm. Reminds me of that a little bit. Thinking of westerns again. Big Ed 
Ed climbs up on top and the music gets really cool. Yeah, it gets rocking, dude. This is when the music really kicks into high gear. They have this montage showing us that they fought a two-year-long like insurgency, basically, against the Harkonnens and against the spice mining. There's like no spice coming off that planet anymore. They're just making everything really difficult for everybody. He finds Patrick Stewart, who is still alive. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like the dog made it. <laughs> they had two. to eat the dog on the way. Probably. <laughs> food scarce out there. The only thing that's left. Some fried pugs. It's, it's Scooter. I gotta eat Scooter. Poor Scooter. Rest in peace, Scooter. And the Spacing Guild guys show up, and they give uh, the Emperor just a river of shit. Yeah. You gotta fix this, or put it, you'll spend the rest of your life in a pain amplifier. Yeah, whatever the fuck that is, which doesn't sound good, no matter what it is. Sounds like shit to me. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Uh, the Emperor's just gonna kill everybody in the whole planet. He sends 50 more legions of these badass troops for the express purposes of genocide. There's one way to deal with it, I guess. That's the easiest solution, right? Keep it simple. <laughs> Paul, he's gonna drink the water of life, which no no man has ever successfully drank and a bunch of guys have tried and died as they say earlier. So he drinks his stuff, just looks kind of like barbicide. Or DNA mutagen. Barbicide yeah. mutagen. Looks pretty delicious. Tropical blue. Cool berry or cool whatever. Berry, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool, <laughs> yeah, it's just Kool-Aid. Yeah. They just put way too much sugar in it, that's why it has this reaction. Oh, it's delicious. All the sandworms just show up and start just kind of hanging out. They don't attack, they just kind of circle around him. It's a big deal. Ceremonious occasion. Well, they always allude to this connection between the spice and the worms. I like the idea of the worms just watching, just because, like, oh, it's never happened before. I guess let's, we'll just, like, this. Let's check it out. <laughs> I do get the sense that, like, this event has just attracted these worms. And now it's kind of, like, giving control over the worms a little bit. Like, he can communicate with them somehow. Or, yeah, like, they have some this. kind of intelligence, and even yeah. they know that he's, like, important to the planet. There's always this allusion to what's the connection between the worms and the spice. They never really say. Yeah, not Really? They show that there is one. It's never really explicit, at least in the movie, of what the hell it actually is and what it all means. Mm -hmm. Everybody starts like bleeding out of their face oh, after yeah. he drinks it. Blood starts coming out of McLaughlin's eyes. And his mom and sister, this little kid now looks like she's four, five, six or something, even though she's like two. They're like bleeding out of their like ears, eyes, nose, and mouth. And so is like... <laughs> yeah, it's fucking nuts. That psychic lady from earlier. Yeah, it works. Long story short, it works. Yeah, man. He doesn't die. And the emperor is on his way. He's... <laughs> pissed. They move in under cover of darkness, the Fremens. Yeah, and they're riding worms at this point. Yeah, they're they, riding uh, the worm. It's yeah, great. everybody's got a lasso on a worm, and they're going fucking buck wild. They just kind of start laying waste to everything, right? They attack with worms and dragon shouts and all yeah. that. Yeah, once somebody asks if they have worm sign, and of course they got worm sign, bro. What do you think? I'm some sort of loser? The likes of which even God has never seen, as Ever McGill puts it. It's like the best line of this movie. Yeah, it is the best line in the whole movie. The it's, delivery is perfect. It's right in the trailer, if anybody listening wants to hear that. Like, yeah. a lot of the best lines are in the trailer, really. The Baron gets called before the Emperor. He's in deep doo-doo. One of his bros has already been taken out. There's, like, a quick shot of, like, his head has been mounted on the wall. <laughs> Pretty rough. The weirdest thing about this scene is little baby Alicia Witt, Paul's little sis, mm. she comes in, and she's talking a lot of shit. Yeah, looking creepy as hell, going to a <laughs> fucking funeral. Yeah, like, That's what like, she looks like. All in this black 
black thing. She's and... got like a large hat on with some sort of veil. And her mouth movements do not match up with her vocalization. Yeah, this is an obvious and very badly done yeah. dub job. Wait for my brother, Baron. I wonder yeah. if it was like on purpose. Lynch is no fool. With David know? Lynch, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I know there's a part in Blue Velvet where they have a Robin. And it's a mechanical Robin. And the way it moves looks really weird and unnatural. And when he saw that, instead of being disappointed, he really liked it. He likes to do weird things like mm-hmm. that. I like that about his movies. That's what gives it that charm, man. I couldn't decide whether to laugh or not. I it? liked it. It was pretty funny. I remember thinking, like, why is she blowing their cover? Because she's like, oh, they're coming to attack right now. Way to blow the surprise. What, they don't believe her or something? There's... I think it's just too late. They're oh, like okay. 30 seckends away, so it didn't really matter. She's just fucking heckling them this just whole time. Them. <laughs> beating them up emotionally. Just hosing <laughs> them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Till his heart stops. Now that's the pain amplifier. Pain amplifier. hanging out is. with this fucking kid. <laughs> and I like the uh, the reverend mother from earlier. is like, kill this child. She's an abomination. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> she kind of is. Pretty creepy. So yeah, there's a fucking battle royale starts brewing outside. They come in on the worms and, yeah. you know, the bad guys shoot and back. it's just like, bow, 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 bow. Like, it's just yeah. crazy rock opera music. It's exciting. It's cool it is. shit. It's a, there's only a couple, like, really big battle scenes in this movie, but I like the way they do them. They're really fast-paced. Like, they don't go on for that long, but they're, yeah. they're like, fast and pretty crazy. And then it cuts back to little sister fucking kills the Baron, basically. Like, slices his throat, and then he goes flying through, like, a hole in the wall. And he gets yeah. eaten by a sandworm. Oh, that's right. And it's kind of, like, a weird effect. This was the one that was, like, the most noticeable, like, matte painting effect. Yeah, and there's like... definitely some green screen that doesn't look that great. What do you think of the effects in this movie overall? I thought they were mostly really good. I thought they were really good, too, and it helped by using a, a really distinct art style. The art direction was very interesting and cool in this movie. Yeah, I've never seen any other movie that looked like this much at all. It's good. It's got a very cool, kind of believable science fiction world, but it's also like kind of dark and gothic at the same time. As much as I like H.R. Geiger, he probably would have done something great with this too. I'm glad that we got what we got, because I think it's a really interesting looking thing that they did. Some of the effects do stand out. Sandworms look great. Yeah, you can kind of forgive it, because it's so interesting and grand. It's cool. I guess there's a few scenes where there's kind of obvious green screen. Yeah, there's some parts in space where it's like, that's a painting of a spaceship. I don't know why that, that bothers people so much. It's a good painting. Why do you think that I bothers don't... people so much? I don't know. I there's don't just a it. certain type of people who are like... <laughs> That's not real. That's so fake. You know why you can stop a bullet with your eyeball, man? It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, it's like if people can tell something they're seeing isn't real, they just have to fucking point it out. Which is like, we know. This is all I know it's pretend. a movie. Yeah, it's playtime. It was, still, it, it was still immersive, though. I mean, how do these people enjoy fucking watching a cartoon? It's clearly all... So somebody drew this. It's so fake. It's so fake. It's, <laughs> Look not, at it. it's all just lines of graphite. This sucks. Bugs Buddy's like not even real. It's just somebody just drew that. It's so fake. Call that a sound effect? What the fuck is that? Boing. <laughs> Someone just got hit in the head with a bat. You think it'd sound like that? Boy. <laughs> <laughs> No way, man. Total bullshit. That's ridiculous. I don't understand that, but I can live with it, and I yeah. usually forgive stuff like that. I think the movie has more defenders when it comes to at least the visual aspect and people mm-hmm. that attack it. it. Had a $40 million budget in 1984 money. I think it looks like it. I think you can really see it. Yeah, uh, they had a lot of money to work with. It looks like they spent the money well. The costumes are great. A lot sets of, are great. The sets are fantastic. The creature that they come up with, that old spice addict floating around the yeah, tank. Yeah, the guild 
Gold Navigator. That whole thing is so cool. It's awesome, man. Basically, they won. The good guys won. Everybody's all happy and dancing around. It's like the corks. Ewoks show up and they start having a jub-jub party. Yeah, they're drumming on the Baron's head. <laughs> yeah. George Lucas is like, this is what you get for not directing my movie. Uh, oh. My kids thought, you know, the power of math. Uh, you know, it's like poetry. They rhyme. It's like a big stare down in the throne room. Okay, on one side you have the Emperor and Sting and all of the remaining bad guys, the psychic lady. And on the other side you got Paul and probably like Paul's mom and Paul's weird little sister and all the Fremens and Patrick Stewart's there. And then in this large room, this sort of circle forms around these two characters as if they were in a ring. Yeah, the squared like, circle. Like just an underground fighting match or something. Who are the figures? Paul and Sting. Patrick Stewart's like, you should let me fight this Harkonnen scum. <laughs> this Harkonnen animal. He's like, no, I got this, dude. So he gets in this knife fight with Sting, and Sting's like, yo, imp, emperor, <laughs> let me borrow your knife. I will kill you! That's what he says. He's, <laughs> he says it like 80 times in the movie, right? Yeah, like he says 80, it 90 like times. a bunch. He says <laughs> I will kill you! At least a thousand him. times, I think. And there's one time where he's like about to kill somebody else, and he's like, I wish you were Paul. Like, he's yeah. so all about killing he's this guy. He's jumping around. he's never even met. He's jumping around like a merry he's leprechaun. hooting and hollering. He's clicking his, his red heels hair. together. He found his pot of gold. Yeah, his eyes are bugging out. His hair is crazy. I confused this. Mac told me earlier Sting was going to do a scene nude, and I thought it was going to be this <laughs> knife fight. Oh, and I was God. like, holy shit. Can you imagine? That might have been awesome. That would have been interesting. Maybe it was just too distracting. Yeah, he kicks Paul in the dick like three times, and I think Paul kicks him in the dick. There's a lot of nut bashing yeah, in this like scene. Yeah, like below the belt, dude. Yeah, DQ. <laughs> this is out of control. This knife fight. Let me get Judge Mills Lane in there to separate him. Eventually, Paul, he does. He gets him in the throat, kills him. He, like, yells at the floor because Paul is so advanced at this point that he doesn't need the little module to make sounds do things. Oh, yeah. So he just yells at the floor. Ah! Yeah, it's for good measure. <laughs> the floor, like, cracks apart under, oh, yeah. under Sting. His eyes roll up into his head from, I guess, the gravity. This looks really funny. <laughs> it's cool. I kind of like this knife fight, dude. There's no music or anything. It's well, actually, there's a little drum line. Cool. Yeah, oh. yeah, Nick Cannon shows up with a drum line. Yeah, this... <laughs> but, yeah there's these three or four guys with these weird triangular shaped drums just going doom, doom, oh that's doom. right like to hype up the fucking crowd I guess it was it's like, pretty cool Nick Cannon's you know what I should have played instead oh, right yeah. when Sting walked in bum bum <laughs> oh shit. I don't know, I should have started playing fucking Roxanne. Oh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> you don't gotta work the fret line. Oh, uh, what's another Message great in a bottle. <laughs> Send in an SOS. <laughs> yeah, been great. Kevin from The Office shows up. It's Grantonicity. Paul wins, and he's anointed. Badass space Jesus. Super Paul, man. Yeah, and what does he say? God created Dune to test the fucking hearts of mankind or something. something you cannot like fight the will of God. Yeah, uh, burying dinosaur bones on us to test our faith yeah, all sort tests. of deal. A lot of religious tie-ins, which I thought was interesting. It's a very, like, spiritual universe, I guess, that they live in. Like, just as much, if not more, really, than, like, the Star Wars universe with the Jedi. That's what I think of with these two movies, with Star Wars and Dune, is Star Wars is science fiction fantasy, or fantasy science fiction, but it's very light on both the fantasy and the science fiction. It's 
kind of like just an adventure movie, whereas Dune is science fiction fantasy, but it's very heavy it's on heavy both on of its... Both. Yeah. And there is this genre of movies almost that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg created. These adventure movies that, even though they take place in very different environments, from the Star Wars series to the Indiana Jones series to Jurassic Park, they all feel similar in, in, a, in a way. Dune is like real fucking sci-fi with quite a bit of fantasy, too. It's a lot heavier. And I guess it's not for everyone. I mean, I get it if people don't dig it. Like, I yeah. really do understand. It's off-putting right from the get-go, and it doesn't get any easier. Yeah. It can be pretty intense. And it is, like, so dense. It could be confusing. That's a problem, too. I can see why they gave out those pamphlets in the movie theater, you know, to uh, <laughs> clear certain things up for people. I had to do some Wikipedia research myself to try to, like, get to the bottom of some of the shit that they were talking about and some of the, the words that they used. Then it finally starts raining out. Prophecy fulfilled. Fucking awesome. Desert planet. No more. Tatooine. <laughs> Nevada. <laughs> yeah, then the movie's over, I guess. And we get this great credit sequence, all right? It's so oh, cool. It's like, what, like a roll call. Yeah, yeah, it's like, as Orson Welles would say, a great cast always deserves a second mention. Mm. So we get, like, a picture of them in their full Dune getup, superimposed over, like, this image of waves, and there's this kind of nice soothing music that plays. And, and they would, they're just, like, smiling at the camera. Some of them are smiling. Some of them have just more in-character sort in of thing. Sort of in-character expressions, like, Brad Dorf still looks kind of psycho. I imagine he just always think, looks psychotic. I, yeah, I, think, I don't think I've ever seen him not look like that. If you listen to this, Brad, please don't kill us. We're huge fans. We love you. We'll make a movie. We'll make you the star, baby. We'll make it happen. I think he just looks crazy all the time. Enough of those bit parts for you, dude. Some of it the big time. So that's awesome. It's all in alphabetical order. Even some of the more minor characters, they show up like the guy who played the Baron's doctor who has like two lines in the movie. Oh, so, yeah. So-and-so Simino. Reminds me of another really cool movie. This is a real deal. Yeah. Stop making sense at the oh, end yeah. of that. That was cool. Where they bring out the crew. Okay, so that was Dune. Let's see what the real critics said about this movie. Dune is a huge, hollow, imaginative, cold sci-fi epic. Visually unique and teeming with incident, David Lynch's film holds the interest due to its abundant... Holds the interest. <laughs> due to its abundant surface attractions, but won't, of its own accord, create the sort of fanaticism which has made Frank Herbert's 1965 novel one of the all-time favorites in its genre, said Variety Magazine. Dune, which opens today at the Gemini and other theaters, is knee-deep in jargon of Frank Herbert's hugely popular novel, a book better loved for its mysticism and adventure plot than for terms like Quitsat's Hatterack, Ben Gesserit, and Gom Jabbar. <laughs> Instead of streamlining either the language or plot of this lengthy book, David Lynch, who directed the film and wrote the screenplay, tries to present it in an unadulterated form. This means he must pause periodically for great infusions of data, as if the occasional subtitle or breathless voiceover could make sense of it all, said Janet Maslin of the New York Times. And with its desire to warp minds instead of instill exciting and what the fuck is that? That doesn't make any sense. And I copy and pasted this, so that was not my fault. Huh. I'm just going to read it as it was written. Yeah. Bill Gibron. I'm singling you out. <laughs> you bitch. We're going to fucking take it down. Take a dump in your forehead. Ooh, baby. With its desire to warp minds instead of instill exciting and its soap opera-ish narrative overload, Dune often looks like the least effective artifact in Lynch's otherwise Olympian career. When placed along such masterpieces as Mulholland Drive, Blue Velvet, and Lost Highway, it does seem like a 
mild mainstream letdown. But if you look deeper, if you take the movie in as a whole and not as a real attempt to tell Herbert's heavy-handed tale, you will come away with a great appreciation of the imagination and outright gall it took to bring such a vision to life, said Bill Gibran of Pop Matters. Bill, you might not make any sense, but I kind of agree with you, man. How would you rate Dune? I'd give it a solid 4 out of 5. This movie is pretty off-putting, and it is very dense, so it can be confusing. But I think it moves at a pretty good pace. Like, it's not really ever slow. It's interesting enough visually that you can kind of dance around the screen and look at different things. Eventually, you will start to want to pay attention to the dialogue, and you'll pick up some things. It's not that crazy. It's fun. It's grand. It's got a huge scope. It really is, like, an enormous experience. It's fun to go with these characters and do the things that they have got to do. And the sandworms look cool. The creatures look great. The acting's good. Shot very well. The music's really good. Like, everything's pretty solid. It's stilted and weird, but I think that's on purpose. That's just David Lynch being David Lynch. This movie is truly, uniquely, a David Lynch movie. Only David Lynch could make this specific version of Dune. If someone else tried to make it, it might be a little different. There's just something off about this movie, but it adds to its charm. Four out of five. Well, yeah, I think I would also give it a four. I think when I first saw it, it was like three, then like watching it again, it's like three and a half, and watching all or part of it this past week or so, like three different times, you expect me to get sick of it. I don't know, there's something about it that keeps me coming back. It's like sometimes really sort of campy, but also it can be really kind of ethereal and dreamlike and strange. There's something really interesting and unique about it. I don't really think I've seen a movie like this before or since. It's a David Lynch movie for sure. Anybody else who would have made this, it would have come out completely different. I recommend it to David Lynch fans if you can kind of look beyond the fact that it's the subject matter is so different from what he usually does. I think you'll find a lot of the other things that you like about him are still there. Fans of the book, probably check it out too. Frank Herbert liked it, so, you know, maybe you should. Stop complaining. I'd recommend this to anyone who's a fan of Magic the Gathering, the card game. Because <laughs> for whatever reason, it reminds me of a lot of those drawings and themes on the cards and, like, the dialogue on the cards. It'd have quotes on the cards. It'd be really weird, and it's really Dune-ish. So, yeah, if you like that game, check this out. You might be into that. This might be better than that Dungeons and Dragons or whatever the fuck. Oh, that fucking you're movie. having to watch Dragonheart and shit <laughs> get your kicks. I think I might visit the books. I have a bunch of different ones kicking around of the whole series. It's gotten me interested in that, at least. I might try to truck through the dense, dry material. Yeah, I'm interested in taking a look at at least the first one. Like, yeah. There's got to be something there, because I like this movie quite a bit, and a lot of people, as always, say the book is better. I don't know. Maybe it's cool. So, next week's movie is 2000's Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. We're going to try to incorporate a fourth person, for this episode at least, our buddy Ben. Via Skype. Via Skype. So this will be rest, uh, The Riot Productions. Check him yeah. out. He's on YouTube. Makes mm-hmm. pretty cool. Movies, fun fact challenge. Check it out. They're pretty fun facts, I think. I enjoy these facts. And <laughs> sometimes, Good stuff, for, well made videos. for kicks, for myself, I'll tell them to other people. They like it. Check out those guys, the Riot Productions. We're on SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash MindedCoolMovieDudes. Like or share or download our episodes. Much appreciate it. Facebook. Facebook.com slash MindedCoolMovieDudes. Follow us on Twitter at MindedCoolMovies. Email us at MindedCoolMovies at gmail.com. 
and we're slowly working towards getting on iTunes. If anyone has listened this far oh, yeah. to the episode and can give us advice on installing and setting up an RSS feed, it'd be greatly appreciated if you can email the Mondo Cool email. We'll try to figure it out on our own, but we're pretty stupid, so yeah. we'll do our best. <laughs> uh, we do want to get, hopefully, on iTunes and maybe even Stitcher pretty soon. Try to, like, grow the show a little bit. So, yeah, tell yeah. your friends, tell your family, tell your pets, tell your bus driver, tell your homies... Tell Freddy we have Kruger on this thing sometime. Yeah, Freddy's dead. Nah, he's back. He's always <laughs> alive, man. Freddy's alive in your heart. Word of mouth. So until next time, the podcast must flow just like the spice. I think the Mondo Cool toilets and the Mondo Cool headquarters are overflowing right now like the spice. Yeah, I saw some orange gas coming out of it. God damn it! Keith! So yeah, next time, Brother Art Thou, check it out. Until then. See you guys. Have fun. Bye, have wonderful time. Bye. Bye-bye.